0: Allah bin Laminashawna Divasmanlaheen. Wata Fakrunda Tayda Fakala Mali Allah Allahud. Am Kana Meluha Ibeen. Sadakalla Deen. We're in Surah number twenty seven, Surah Al naml which is known as the Ants. We just yesterday the last thing we had done was the story of Sayyidina Sulaiman Allah marching with his army and entering into a valley between two mountains and which there was large settlement of ants and then one female ant she had mentioned to her fellow ants that they should all return to their ant homes and their homes so that they would not be trampled under the army of Sayyidina Sulaiman alayhi sallam. Now first twenty onward is the incident that's going to be of Sayyidina Sulaiman and the Queen Bill Geese. So first Sayyidina Sulaiman says that it's a bit difficult to translate this particular verse what it means is that first he says What the the Tayra So first Sayyidina Sulaiman Islam he looked and he reviewed the birds, reviewed, inspected as a person would look over them in a type of roll call. And then he first said, al hudud that first he said what is it about me, what is the matter with me? What is that I'm not able to see Hudhud? What it means is that, what is it that I do not see Hudhud? Then, amkanam min al-gha'ibin, is it possible that perhaps he is amongst the people who are absent, that he is an absentee, he is not present. I wouldn't say disappeared, it means that he is absent. Then when Sayyidina Suleyman realizes that he is absent, then he says, Law bannahu Indeed, I will punish him, Hudhud, with a severe punishment. Oh, or I will divah him, means, or I will cut its throat, means, I will slaughter him. Or the other option is that he will come to me with a very good excuse, with a clear and manifest legitimate reason as to why he is not present. So, Sayyidina Sulaiman. First of all, who is Hudhud? So, as you saw earlier, say the had men, jinn, and army, and birds in his army, and that he also knew the speech of the birds. Hudhud, we'll just leave it untranslated, although some people translate English as a hoopoe, it's unknown species of bird. But in the Tafsir of Abdullah bin Abbas, radiallahu he narrates that this particular bird, Hudhud, had a distinct ability that in could instinctly, from its instinct, it could tell where water was underground. And so Hudhud, whenever the army of Suleiman would need to camp, Hudhud would be asked that where should we pitch our tents and camp? Because there's water underground. And then the jinn would quickly build a bore well, a type of well, and extract the water underground. So this suggests that then Sayyidina Sulaiman had paused and wanted to decide or wanted to stop and was looking for Hudhud and he wasn't there. Second thing that some mention is that Sayyidina Suleiman in this inspection and looking over his ranks and army shows that he was also the general of that army so in addition to being bestowed with Nabuwa and kingship he was also a master general. Then he says that surely I will punish him. So. This punishment could be some type of reprimanding. Clearly it was the duty of Hudhud to be there, so this suggests when a person is absent, when their duty is such that they should be present, then the king or the general are well within their right to punish them. Then comes this that I will cut his throat, means I will slaughter him. So a person may think that why will Sulaiman kill this poor little bird? So what Sayyidina Sulaiman meant that perhaps this is treason, that perhaps the reason Hudhud is absent is because he has deserted the army, he has committed treason. And even in some countries today an act of treason against the state is viewed as something that is punishable by death. So now Sayyidina Sulaiman is saying that this is what he means. Unless he comes to me, Hudhud comes to me with Bisultanim Sultanim Mubeen Sultan literally means authority or warrant with a good legitimate excuse with a clear legitimization for his absence. it means it was only a short time transpired that Hudhud came Fakal and what did he say? That bird said Bimanam Min Sababin Min Saba in that I have come to you. Uh, I've ascertained something which you do not know. I have ascertained some knowledge which you don't, and I've come to you from Saba in, which is a place in Yemen, Yabin, and I've come to you with a certain news, a concrete piece of information. So here now, number one, he. Hudhud absolves himself from being slaughtered because clearly he's not a traitor. He was actually scouting for the king Nabi Sina Suleiman And second, now he is going to give his sultan and Mubin a good reason why he was absent so he won't be worthy of any censure, reprimand, punishment, Allah. Clearly Hudhud knew that because the second he arrived he gave his excuse without any salah, without any greeting. So it means Hudhud also knew the mizaj of his nabi and his king and his general. That the very first thing he has to explain is why he was absent. So what does he say? Inni wajadum raatan, that I have discovered and I have found a woman tamlikum, And this is a woman Tamlikum, that she is a malaka. Means she is ruling over uh, the people or the people of Saba in Yemen and وَأُوتِيَتْ min kul shay, and she has been given from every single thing. Now again here, as we did yesterday with Salman alayhislam, again here with this queen, who in Tafsir, her name is mentioned as Bilqis, she didn't have every single thing. She also did not have an iPad, right? She has not been given every single thing. So what does it mean, وَأُوتِيَتْ min kul shay? means that she's a hundred percent leader and ruler of her people and she has been granted all of the entrapments of ruling and dominion and she has been given everything that the ruler of a people is normally given. She's a full fledged ruler, full fledged well supported ruler. And walaha Arshun Adim and she also has a tremendous throne now remember this is the same Allah who in Quran Karim uses Arshun Adim for his throne Right? So again it shows you sometimes linguistically, lexically in Lughi You can use words that are used for Allah or Sha'airullah For Ghairullah, that is Jais Okay First thing that comes up is that she is a leader First Bilkis herself, so the woman herself, her name is Bilqis Imratan And she is half human, half jinn According to the ulama of Tafsir, her mother was a jinn. Very interesting, fascinating stories as to how her father and mother get married, but I won't bore you. (coughs) Actually, it's nothing that we know for sure, but it's quite a lot the Mufassrun have written on this, and have also extracted quite a number of interesting interesting legal rulings about the permissibility or otherwise of marriage between men and jinn, and the possibility of procreation between them. But these are things that should not concern you, because they have nothing to do with our Hidam on Earth. If you're interested, learn Arabic and you will read some very interesting things. Second is that she is a Maluka, she is their ruler. So, obviously this is, she is not ruling them under Islamic law or any scripture. She is a woman who is part of a community to whom up till now no Nabi and no scripture has been revealed. That said, Sayyidina Rasulullah has mentioned in the Hadith uh, which is in the Sahih of Bukhari. And the words of that Hadith are very particular and the Hadith says that يُفْلِحَ lay, uh, lay that any community or group or nation or state, you can use any term, if they appoint a woman as their leader Lay they will never be able to achieve maximum success what was the occasion, why did the Prophet ﷺ say this because a delegation came to him from Persia and informed him that the daughter of Khusro which they call Kisra in Arabic the daughter of Khusra, who was the Persian emperor succeeded him as the ruler and then the Prophet ﷺ said this that no community will ever be able to attain success so this hadith number one is definitely clearly establishing that for a woman to be a queen or a king or an absolute ruler that is something that at the very least is not going to enable that Qaum to have absolute success reach the heights of success. Now if a person views a Qaum to reach height of success then you would view having a woman leader as haram if you view reaching the height of success to be optional or just recommended but not required you will view having a woman leader to be makruh. And if you view for a community to be successful, to be completely optional for them, then you will view having a woman leader as being completely optional. But obviously I don't think there's anybody who would think like that, that for any nation, community, state to be successful and thrive and flourish is optional for them. It's even difficult to suggest that it's recommended for them. It is required for them. Then ulama have deferred that what does this mean? Does that mean that women cannot lead anything whatsoever? And my own position on that is that, no, it does not mean that. It means, the Hadith means what it says, that a woman cannot be head of state. Beyond that, she can successfully assume a leadership position, and whatever she is leading can flourish. And one example of that in Islamic history is that women who were leaders and teachers and principals of educational institutes of learning, muhtamima, right?, and certainly those institutes of learning flourished under their leadership. So this is not mentioning... So what? Why did I say this? So lest a feminist get all offended, it's not talking about the leadership quality or ability of a woman. It's talking about the sphere in which her leadership quality should be applied. So it's not negating that a woman has leadership qualities and abilities, but there are certain spheres in which that won't be successful. In fact, there's only one arena in which she will not be able to be successful, and that is that ultimately most public office which is that of head of state because that requires such a level of exposure, such a level of interaction with men also right, it's impossible for her to maintain her haya and her hijab by being head of state because as head of state she will have to interact with so many men and also expose herself to so many threats and dangers so because of the office of the head of state requires certain things that a woman is not that Allah Ta'ala does not want a woman to do. It's nothing to do with whether she's capable of doing it or not. Allah wa ta'ala does not want her to do that. So then there will be two possibilities. If she is a pious woman then she won't fulfill the, all those duties of head of state, then the community will not be successful. Or if she violates the rules of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and becomes completely a public property official, because that's the way Deen of Islam views a head of state, that they belong entirely to the public. If she does that, then because she will be sitting against Allah Ta'ala by violating her hijab, she won't have barakah in her leadership. And because she doesn't have barakah in her leadership, that community still won't be successful. But otherwise, it's nothing to do with her own abilities or qualities because in other spheres and arenas, women can be leaders. So the feminists who are soft-hearted should be happy by this explanation. And those who are not soft-hearted, there's not much really we can do about that. Alright? Arshun Azim. So again, in Tasirv of Nabas, it is mentioned that the throne of Bilkis was 40 yards wide, 30 yards high, studded and adorned with pearls, rubies, all types of jewels, and was, had draped an upholstery and curtains of silk on it, and she had kept it protected, and this is going to be important later, behind seven doors. So there was an outer chamber, then an inner chamber, then yet another inner chamber, seven such chambers. And in the seventh most inner chamber was her throne. So this suggests then that her throne was not something that she would sit on and rule and adjudicate from because it was in this hidden and recluse chamber. Others have taken this arshun adim to mean just a here that is referring, it's simultaneous. You're going to find this a lot today. What I've told you that a single verse holding multiple meanings Another meaning of this is laha arshan adim means that she has a masterful dominion. Means she has a large community over which she is queen. This is, she has a great mantle of leadership. She has a great kingdom upon which she is established as a ruler, which is being mentioned here as a throne. However. But so, Jaduha, continues his fascinating story to get himself off the hook, but it's correct, it's meant real story that I found her Wakomaha and her comb Yes Shamsi, that they are doing sajda to the sun, Mindunillahi instead of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is a gross act of shirk, right? And all of the Anbiya are sent to earth specifically to eradicate first and foremost shirk and kufr, right? Now prior to this, Sayyidina Suleyman did not know about her existence. That's why Huldgut said in the beginning that I am bringing you a news, right? (laughs) Ahattu bima lam tohit bihi. That I become acquainted and I've, my knowledge has encompassed something which you don't know. And yes, that is correct. So that means that Sayyidina Suleyman, notwithstanding his incredible knowledge and the fact that the wind was his command, he did not have ilmul He did not have il mikul. He did not know everything that was happening on this earth. And this was an unseen community to him. And he didn't know about it. Alright. So... This is, the, this is the real information that he is giving. That this is a big, so that means now it's going to be Sayyidina Sulaiman's mission as part of his Nabuwa that he's going to have to do something about this shirk. And they are uh, during, Second thing, Hudud said, ash-shaytanu أَعْمَالُهُمْ And that Iblis is making their actions seem beautiful to them. He is beautifying their actions to them means that they. First and foremost is sajda, they think this sajda is a beautiful and wonderful thing to do. And a'mal, because it is plural, it is an ashar that they're engaged in many other sins that shaitan has gift read for them and has made them do. anis السَّبِيلِ And thereby shaitan has prevented them from following the path, means the true path, the path that will lead to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then for whom La Yahtadun and because of that they are not rightly guided, they have not followed and submitted to Hidayah Allah Yashtadul La Hilladi يخرج الخب Why is it that they do don't, don't do sajda, they do not do sajda to Allah SWT, who has brought forth what is hidden in the heavens and the earth so, تقلنون, And Allah subhanahu knows what you conceal and what you reveal. ilaha And Allah subhanahu is that being, who is, there is no being, no God other than Him. And He is Rabbul Arshan الْعَذِيمِ So again now you have this term coming just three lines later. That Allah ta'ala is the Rabb of Arshan Adim. He is the Rabb of the glorious throne. So this is an ayat to sajda, which I recited in Arabic. That we all it is wajib on every one of us, at some point later to make sajda. Here Allah Ta'ala made it clear that otherwise, earlier we did this yesterday or the day before, and that He does istiwa al arsh. Here is a verse that is used by the ulama to show that this is not physical, but He is a arsh al azim. Actually, He is the Lord of the throne, not that He is sitting on the throne, right? And here again is certainly Allah Ta'ala deliberately revealing those words to suggest that she may have an Arsh Azim. But Allah Ta'ala is Rabb of Al-Arsh Al-Azim. If you see this in Arabic, well, ha, arshun azim, This is Nakira in the end of verse number 23. So she has a magnificent throne. And Allah who is Rabbul Arsh Al-Azim. That Allah Ta'ala is Rabb of the magnificent throne. Alright? Okay. That Suleyman, mm-hmm. uh says... Mm-hmm. Allah, right. okay. All, uh, so he says to Hudhud, right? This is after this whole long description uh, that he's going to test Hudhud. Means basically Hudhud's Ghair Hazri really upsets Seyna right? Yes. And this is what a Uftaz Ma'ana Fehazadeen Samda Barakatum Jamah Shafia When a student was absent from his class he would bring up the story and say that I can punish you, I can slaughter you <laughs> unless you give me a valid reason for being absent from sabak means sabak of Quran Sabak of Hadith, Sabak of Fiqh Sabak of Ulum din This is why in the Madaris actually the attendance policy in the well-run Madaris Islamiyah is extremely strict unfortunately our own mother-son Especially with the boys, is nowhere near that level of attendance and sincerity. Okay. All right. So Sayyidina Sulaiman islam said, that, sananduru <coughs> sadakta, Soon we shall see if you have spoken truly or if you are amongst the liars. Right? How? Idhab that go hudhud with this letter of mine and falqihu <coughs> ilayhim and you should literally it means literally toss it to them but it means you should present it to them it means to the Queen Bilkis and their community and then you should withdraw from them literally turn away from them a little bit means give them the privacy to read and discuss my letter and think about how they should respond. So this is also a sense of the diplomacy of Sayyidina salam, right? That you deliver the message and you withdraw. And you let the people to whom you address the letter. Confer and discuss how they want to respond. right? And see what reply they give you. See how they respond to you. So Hudhud goes with this letter. So now this is the queen of Saba, Yani Bilqis. She says, "Ya ayuhal malau," that "O oh my ministers, O oh my chieftains, O oh my assemb- assembled advisors. inni ulkiya ilayya kitabun kareem." That indeed I have been sent and I have been presented with a gracious and noble letter. That is the first meaning of Karim. Second meaning of kareem can mean that it's sealed that Sayyidina Sulaiman had put his particular seal on it. And this is something that Sayyidina Rasulullah also used to do when he would send letters to the disbelievers. And this generally is a sunnah of the Anbiya and also of the Awliya and also of the Ulama to write letters to rulers and to write letters to either disbelieving rulers or non practicing believing believers who are rulers to counsel them. So, what is that letter? So she says to her chieftains, Innuhu min Sulaiman, because the letter actually said min Sulaiman, that is from Sayyidina Sulaiman, and it says, In the name of Allah, subhanahu ta'ala, the all merciful, Allah, the all mercy giving Allah subhanahu and then what is the first message that Sayyidina S.A.W. says he doesn't cut to the chase at all he simply says that shirk must be subjugated to iman that don't rise is can be again two meanings ta'lu can be don't be arrogant versus me and ta'lu can be don't rise against me don't Try to march in your armies against me, but instead, for wa'u to need that each and every and all of you should come to me, Muslimin submissive, submissive, that you're willing to surrender and submit to the kingdom of Sayyidina Sulaiman. Some to said to her chieftains, Ya malaul Ya, Malau, the old chieftains. Of two nifi Amri that you should give me fatwa, literally it means that you should give me fatwa fatwa in this matter. So what does this mean? Number one, that fatwa doesn't just mean legal ruling, but it means advice and counsel. Number two, she said Amri, which means ultimately the decision lies with the Emir Ultimately, it's her decision how she's going to respond, but the advisors can give her some counsel. On that Makunduqatiyatan Amran Hatta Tashadun. That I am not one to decide a matter until and unless you are present means that you are present with me. You stand by me, right? So they responded. قلو, so they responded. بأسن, that we are people of we have power. And we are masters, we are ulu and we have possessed great shdeedin, then we have great force. We are masters of great and violent force. Wal amru ilayki. But however the matter rests with you, the command is up to you. Funduri ma So why don't you see and decide, consider what it is that you will command and what you wish to decide. Qala al said that okay. إنَّ الْمَلُوكَ إِذَا دَخَلُوا قَرِيَةً This is the famous sentence of her that indeed kings whenever they enter into any state or any town or any village Fasaduha, They ruin it and despoil it أَهْلِهَا And they reduce its most powerful people to the most abject they reduce the most they humiliate the most honorable people in it وَكَذَلِكَ يَفْعَلُونَ And this is what they will do. She got a feeling, right, about the power of Sayyidina Sulaiman alayhi salam, right. Probably she's thinking, look, this bird has come from far away because I've never heard of this person. So how far has this bird traveled? And this person is beginning with the name al-Sulaiman, and there's no message at all, just point blank saying that don't rise up against me or don't be arrogant against me. So she understood that this is some mighty person who is writing. She could feel the power and might and confidence behind that writing and maybe she could even ascertain and perceive, as you will see later, because she was a woman of firas and insight, maybe she could even ascertain the nude of the Naboot of Sayyidina Sulaiman al-Islam behind his words. She realized that she was dealing with someone altogether different. And yes, if it was a normal king, perhaps she would listen to her advisors that yes, we are great people. Remember, even Hudud the saying she has Arshan adeem. We are a great community. We have tremendous people, tremendous warriors. We can muster a tremendous force. But she realized that this letter has not come from a person against whom the armies of this world are going to make a difference. So she was a woman of great fidelsa, right? All right. And in fact, she is, uh, strictly speaking, uh, is maybe the exception to the Hadith of the Prophet because she is actually going to make the right decision as most of you know and the rest of you are going to see shortly. So what does she decide? Okay, so what we will do is, we're not going to send our armies, we're not going to march against them, we're not going to muster our forces, right? Inni و... mursilatun that I will also become a messenger to them, means I will send to them بحديا that I will send a gift to them, right? And then, Fanadiratun and then I will watch, I will see yerju mursalun ي... that what is it with the messenger's return? With? Means I will send ambassadors with them bearing gifts and I will see what is response is given to them. What does this mean? Number one, her reason was that first, the, her ambassadors will get a chance to scout and see who is this Suleiman Islam, and what exactly type of forces does he have. Second, because she was a woman of Firasa, so the Mufassir will say that she said, okay, let me confirm my hunch that this is not an ordinary king and send gifts. And if he accepts the gifts, actually he is an ordinary king, and then I, maybe I was wrong, and then maybe I will listen to my ministers, and we will then choose to fight them. But if he doesn't accept the gifts, means he has no interest in the money and wealth in this world, means his calling me and my people to submit and become Muslimin, was not because he wants our wealth and property and money, but because indeed he is something else, and he may be some whatever concept she had in the mind of a Nabi. So she sends, now there's nowhere... In hadith, where it is mentioned what she sends, but the Israel, Israeliyat means the narrations from the the narrations of the Torah, Injil that the Sahaba ikram had access to, mention all types of things that were given. Just imagine massive amounts of gifts and all types of things were sent. So when, so verse seven thirty six. When Falam Maja Sulaimana, so when her ambassadors and emissaries, maybe that's a better way to put it, when her emissaries reached Sina Sula Sulaiman with all of those gifts. All So Sayyidina Sulaiman sam said because he wanted them to come and submit. He wasn't he didn't want these gifts. So what did he say to them? He said that Atumindunani Bimal, are you trying to furnish me with material wealth? فَمَا اللَّهُ خَيْرٌ مِمَّا أَتَاكُمْ What, what Allah what my Allah ta'ala has given me is much, much better than what Allah ta'ala has given you. So first of all, the kingdom that I have is far superior to your kingdom. The wealth and riches Allah ta'ala has given me is much superior to what you've been given. But it also means that I've been given Nubuwa. I've been given spiritual kingdom and you've been given material kingdom. So I don't need this material kingdom that you are sending me. Balantum That no, it is you people who are delighted with your gift. You're so excited about this gift and you view it with such amazement and wonder. So ilji ilayhim that you should return, go back to them and tell them, tell them that I will certainly we will certainly come upon them with armies that they will have no recourse in defense against such armies, they will not be able to counter against some armies., and then we will expel them from their land, Adlah, in shame and disgrace. indeed they will be abased. So it means, so then they went back, and when they went back, to say oh, Bilqis, and she would have realized, right, that yes, this is indeed not an ordinary king, this is not somebody to be won over by money, this is most likely something else. Yani, she may realize that he is a Nabi of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Some points here, uh, first thing is that how a person should write a letter, so some of the have said that yes, first write Min from the person, so Min sulaiman and then Bismillah al rahim But because the Sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah ﷺ was that first he would write Bismillah al rahim and then he would write as for example he wrote to the Emperor of Rome, Herakal, that he wrote from Muhammad Wasallam, the servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger to Herakal, the Emperor of Rome. Other commentators say that even here, Sulaiman alayhi salam had actually written Bismillah al-rahim first, and then wrote min Sulaiman. But when she was reading the letter out to her ministers, she related to them first the fact that this letter is from Sulaiman alayhi salam, and in it he has written Bismillah al-rahim Right. All right. Now, verses thirty-eight. After Sayyidina Sulaiman sends uh, her emissaries back with all of the gifts and keeps none of them, then he turns. So it shows that Sayyidina Sulaiman also had his mother. Also, had his chiefs and viziers and advisors and ministers, right? And this is part of deen. In the Nabiya Kareem Sassam so and elsewhere in Quran, Allah Ta'ala has mentioned Shura. And Nabiya Kareem Sassam so used to take Shura mushawara from the Sahabiq Ram. And the earlier Anbiya also used to do so. So it means in the Islamic concept of leadership, even though there is an Amir, there is a supreme leader who is head of government or state but they should have advisors who they consult with they shouldn't take decisions unilaterally on their own well they will take a unilateral decision but they should consult others before taking that decision so he asked that ayyukum bi qabla that which one of you can bring me her arsh before her and her entire community come to me, Muslimin. So, what does this mean? Right? Number one possibility is that Allah wa sent Wahid to Sayyidina Sulaiman that they've changed their mind and they're now going to march to you, but they're going to not march to you in battle, they're actually coming to you to submit. Second, it can be that this Sayyidina Sulaiman said this when he already saw them coming. Because remember he was a master of the wind. So because of that he also had a far away gaze into the horizon. So he saw the dust clouds of the whole contingent of Queen Bilqis of Saba'in and her community coming. So he said before they reach which one of you can bring me the arsh. Now remember Sulaiman al Islam had all these jinn. And jinn are a creation that Allah Ta'ala has enabled them to travel great distances in fractions of seconds. Alright? So it means the jinn could go there and get the arch and bring it back. And the jinns have also been given supernatural strength, right? So they could pick up this thirty yard wide and forty yard tall thing. So sure enough, called the Ifritum jinni, right? Your favorite thing. One of the great great giants or genies from the jinn. Dunno how you translate Ifrit. A stalwart of the jinn. So it means one of the great giants in genius is a king jinn. King sized jinn. Said, Ana, That I can bring it to you even before, literally means you stand from your place, before you rise from your place. Wa inni alayhi and indeed, I am strong enough for such a task. And I amin mean I am trustworthy enough for such a task. Just remember these words because these words are going to be used shortly later on for Sayyidina Musa. Laqawiyun I mean, amin, I am very strong and I am very trustworthy. However, al kitab. However, that person who possessed the knowledge of the book, min al kitab, some knowledge that was acquired from the book and scripture. What did that one say? Ana ati kabhi kamla aye yadanda tarfuk. That I will bring the earth to you before you can even blink your eye. Falam <speaking in the language> madahu So then, when Sulaiman this saw it, mustakin indahu <the language> that it was indeed before the blink of an eye. It was set and placed in front of him. Kala hada min fadli that indeed this is the fadl from my Rab Li So that Allah ta'ala wants to test me Sulaiman from this fadl, aashkuru that will I be grateful to him Am Akfuru or will I be ungrateful to him? Waman Shakara, and whomsoever is grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Yashkuru the nafsi. But that person is, their gratitude is only for their own benefit. It doesn't benefit Allah Ta'ala in any way. Whether is grateful to them. wa man kafara and that person who is ungrateful, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not harmed in any way by their ingratitude because Allah Ta'ala is ghani, is absolutely independent and free of need, and he is karim means he has his own worth, he is his own karam. His karam is not because people do sugar to him, he is karim, karam and karam in of himself does not require shukar to make himself karim. Alright. Now, who is this person from the one of the Kitab? There are many, many views of the Mufassirun on this. One view is that it was another one of the present and one of the advisors and minister present and the name they gave him is Asif bin Barkhiyyah and that he was the nephew, uh, sorry, cousin of Sayyidina Suleiman and that he brought it quickly. The question is that he would be a human, so how would he have been able to go? So then the ulama write that what was that knowledge, min ilm, uh, ilmum min al-kitab, what was the knowledge that he had from the scripture? That was the ism azam He was a scholar of the scripture that was used by Sayyidina Sulaiman and he knew Allah Ta'ala's most magnificent name This is something that the Nabiya Karim has mentioned in the Hadith that whoever so knows the ism Whatever dua they make calling Allah Ta'ala on his magnificent name Allah Ta'ala grants her dua So actually he made dua to Allah Ta'ala using the ism that the earth should come here And because Allah Ta'ala grants duas instantly even faster than King Jin can go and come back so it was there before the blink of the eye. That is one possibility. Second possibility say that this person was actually Sayyidina Sulaiman himself. So that after he asked his ministers, and one jin said that, then said, Yeni the one who had been given knowledge from the scripture, that I can bring it right within before even the blink of the eye. Some said that it was khizr. Sayyidina Khizr alayhi Salaam was there at that moment and he has been given knowledge from multiple scriptures and so he said he can bring it in the blink of the eye. He's also someone whom Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala has endowed what we call Tukwini Umur that he can how to explain that to you, but he can do these types of things, right? In blinks of an eye. Some say that it was the angel Jabir, right? Uh, so there are many different views as to who it was. Alright? But either way, The point is that the Arsh was presented in front of Sayyidina Suleiman More important rather, sorry, is his response to this So his response and this was how he felt about the incredible kingdom Allah Ta'ala had given him And from time to time this was his feeling So here Allah Ta'ala is mentioning mentioning this That this is a fadl هذا من fadli rabbi So this is not if he was the doer He's saying it's not my power If Asif was the doer, or Khizr was the doer, whoever was the doer, he says, it's nothing, it's all from the fazl of my Rab. This, uh, the fact that the Arsh of Bilqis came to me in less than the blink of an eye, is the fazl of my Rab, is the fuzzle of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, he says about himself, Luani," that I will be tested. Right, so first he's saying that he himself will be tested. This shows that even the Anbiya knew that they must always remain on their shukr. No matter how much Allah Ta'ala bestowed them with with their nabuwa, with mu'jazat, with miracles, that they must always be grateful and submissive to Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala. And they would be worried. And this is the sunnah of the Anbiya. And when Allah Ta'ala makes something miraculously wonderful happen in their life, they view that as a test. And so we should be the same way that when Allah Ta'ala sends his falla upon us, we should always remember to do Shukr. It's a test to see that we would, or if we even on our own ability achieve something, it's a test from Allah Subh'anaHu we will be mindful and remembering and grateful to him or we will be ungrateful. And then Sayyidina Sulaiman gave a general universal rule that is in Quran about what? About the gratitude and ingratitude. In 41 now, then once the throne has come, so Sayyidina Sulaiman said, disguise her throne to her. So that why? So, nandur attahtadi amtakunu minaladina la yahtadun. Disguise her throne so we will she, is she from those who can follow Hidayah? Remember, Ihtadah, can she follow Hidayah? Or will she become amongst those who are those who do not follow Hidayah and who are unguided? So they disguised her throne when she arrived. So disguise means they must have changed it in some way, amended it in some way. So when she arrived, is this your throne? So when she arrived, she was asked, is this your throne? And she replied, is, it means, is your throne something like this? Is your throne something similar to this? So she replied, because you have to think that she would never have imagined. Right, that her arsh could be here. So, قال, huwa, it seems like this is the very one. It seems like this is, it seems to be my very arsh, hua, it itself. So, now, uh, wa uti min wa kunna musnimeen. Now, this sentence, uh, the mufassirin have said, because in the Arabic language, this sentence could have been said by Bilqis. it also could have been said by Sayyidina Suleiman himself. If it is said uh, by al Suleiman then he's telling her that actually Allah, Allah already sent ilm and wahi to me that you were going to submit you were going to come and submit to my Nabuwa and to my kingdom and I just brought the arshir. And if it's said by her, then it means that we were informed before so where did she get that ilm from, right? If it's said by her uh, if it is said by her it means that mm, but I was telling you that she already had heard about the sovereignty of Sayyidina Sulaiman al before the letter reached her, or it can mean that upon reading the letter, she had her insight, and that insight made her realize that no, I realize that my throne now is going to end up with you once you had sent me that letter. All right. Then, what did Sayyidina Sulaiman al do when she when, when she said to him? Wakuna uh, Muslimin, and therefore we have come and we have submitted. Wassandha ma kana ta'budu min Duni'illah. He stopped her from shirk. He's not interested in her wealth or her armies or her people. The whole reason that he had told her to come was that as the Nabi of Allah his job was to eradicate shirk and idol worship on earth. So he prevented her and stopped her and forbade her from what she had been worshipping, and because she is the queen means that by proxy he prevented her whole community. In Naha min Minkom Min Kafirin, and previously indeed she had been from a idol worshipping, disbelieving nation. Okay, now what another thing that Sayyidina Sulla had done in preparation for her. The first was disguise the throne. The second was that he wanted to test her in another way. So what he did was he created a big glass palace before she arrived. And again he had jinn who could construct some such things for him on very short notice and very quickly. And then he had a uh, glass entrance placed over here. he put a pond or a body of water at the entrance and then he put a crystal clear glass over that small pond right, which means it's not so deep stream or pond or puddle, if you want you can call it even right, so now when she came and she and he did this to impress her he did this to impress her that look at, you know, you sent me your gifts So, okay, fine, I will now manufacture something to make you realize that the real kingdom lies with Nabi Sulaiman. So he told her that, okay, you enter the palace. And when she saw it, So she thought that, because the glass was so pure, she thought it was actually water. And because it was a small puddle, but she was so attracted to that glass palace, right? And the ornate, intricate beauty of that glass palace she just wanted to enter it so even though it was water she hiked up her lower garment or she raised up her lower garment a little bit thereby exposing وَكَشَفَتْ an then she ended up exposing part of her uh, bared part of her calf right so then Sayyidina Suleiman then told her that no this is a whole all of this this whole palace has been constructed of glass and even on what he meant by that was even that on this water this puddle there's glass. So what she said, say, So she said that, Oh my Rabb, indeed I have Nafsi uh, I have wronged my own self and now I submit with Sayyidina Sulaiman Islam to Allah to Allah subhanahu to Allah Ta'ala alone Rabbil الْعَظَمِينَ who is the love of all of the Alameen alright here now this ends the story of Sayyidina islam and Bilqis and there is no clear uh, indication that definitely not in drawn, Quran, not in any Hadith what happens afterwards some of the Israeliyat take it further to a happy ending that they got married and lived happily ever after. But there's no real mention of that in hadith. This much we can end on this note that uh, she uh, she accepted imam. Then a question arises that some people have raised it when Sulaiman al did not accept her gifts. So does that mean that you cannot accept gifts? So number one, you can definitely accept gifts from fellow because in the Mutt Ibn Malik, in Ta'ala, he's narrated a hadith. That say, uh, what, one part, of, one Jews of that hadith is that Sayyidina Rasulullah S.A.W. said tahabu, that you should mutually exchange, exchange gifts so that you mutually increase in love for one another. And it's also mentioned in a hadith that as far as the gifts of unbelievers go, that at times Sayyidina Rasulullah would not accept the gifts that some unbeliever delegations brought to him. And at times he would accept them. So the rule is not one of blanket permissibility nor blanket prohibition. One has to look at what is the intention of the gift giver and one has to look is that by accepting the gifts is one beholden to them in any way or does one become, you know, asanman, as you say, is one beholden to them anyway. Alright, here in the case of Sayyidina Sulaiman al he refused the gift not because he would have been beholden but because he generally had no need for them whatsoever. Alright, next from verses 45 onwards. We can move with some speed here. This is the story of Sayyidina Sallallahu being sent to Thamud. And this is something that we have done several times before in Qur'an. And we did it recently, even just a few days ago. وَلَقَدْ <speaking> أَرْسَنَا in <Hebrew> That indeed we sent... Uh, to the community of Thamud, their brother, their fellow compatriots, in sallallahu alayhi wa To tell them that same mission with Allah That they should worship Allah Ta'ala and worship Allah Ta'ala alone But then what happened? Idahum But they split into two rival factions Which were disputing with one another Alright What is this? So this has been mentioned in Surah Araf when we did the story in detail earlier But i will just recounted to you Surah Araf versus 75 to 77. That those who were arrogant from the community of Sayyidina Salih al Islam they told those people who were weak from the community of Sayyidina Salih al that do you actually think that we will ever? Uh, do you actually believe that Sayyidina Salih al Wasallam is sent from his Lord? And they said, yes. Uh, we believe in everything that he is sent with. So those who were arrogant and haughty and elites. They said that, no, we, as far as we are disbelievers in what you have believed in. And they went and they killed the sheep camel and etc. So what happened? Two groups were made between rich and poor. That the elite and the wealthy, they refused to believe in Sayyidina Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and the poor and the needy, or the quote unquote lower class, they believed in Sayyidina Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So this became two factions. These are the two factions that are disputing with that is referred to by swallow in verse number forty five. Verse forty six Qala Sayyidna Sula Sayyidina Salah said, my people, why do you seek to hasten ill before good? Why don't you seek the forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, La so that Allah Ta'ala's mercy may fall upon you. So again he was inviting them to remember the mercy of Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala. But how did they reply? They said no. Right, then we view you as an omen, view you and those who are with you as an omen of ill, as a sign of evil. Right, and so then Sayyidina Salah Alaihi Wasallam responded to them that no, the sign of evil, the omen of evil, that is with is not with me, but is actually with Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, who is going to test you and then punish you. Right, and then you will become a community that has been tested and punished by Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Verse 48, specifically, there were nine people who plotted, uh, there was a group of nine people who, uh, tried to plot against Sayyidina Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So there was a group of nine kinsmen in the city who caused trouble and mischief in the land, and they refused to make peace. La yuslihoon. They did not make salah, did not amend their ways, did not reform. What did they say? So they went to the people and said that all of you should swear an oath, Billahi, by Allah SWT. Means they went to people and asked them to swear an oath by Allah that what? That we will certainly attack Sayyidina Sallallahu and murder him wa ahlahu and his ahl at night. And then we will tell all of his heirs, the ma shahidna, that we did not see, uh, we were not present and we did not witness the destruction of his family. And we will insist, wa inna Allah we will insist to them that we are truthful. What does this mean? It means that there's nine particular people who tried to even force upon the believers in Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, they tried to get the believers of that Prophet to kill that Prophet and his entire family at night. Alright? Now what does this mean? That you will tell the heirs, the waliyeh, because there won't be any heirs that are left. What this meant was that there will be kuffar relatives of the believers of Sayyidina Sallim because by element meant his ummah. And so, when you kill Salah Islam and you kill his believers, then the kuffar relatives of those believers will still want vengeance against you because you murdered their cousin or you murdered their nephew. So you should just tell them that we weren't present. So Allah Ta'ala says and they plotted their scheme and we plotted something and indeed they have no knowledge and awareness. So what does it mean? Fandur Fakana Makrihim that gaze upon what was the outcome of their plotting? Anna ajmain that indeed we annihilated them and destroyed them and their entire these nine and their entire fellow disbelievers, community disbelievers, Ajmain, each and every single one of them. So, this verse was specifically revealed here as a tisali to Sayyidina Rasulullah. Because the same concept was there that you had kuffar in the Quraysh who wanted to assassinate the Prophet and the Sahaba. But the only thing keeping them back was that they were worried that the Banu Hashim, which was the clan of Sayyidina Rasulullah from the Quraysh, would retaliate as per the tribal law of retaliation if they killed somebody from their clan. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving an isharah here, that yes, I know what they want to do to you. And just like the, there was a group of people, nine people in the time of Alaihi Islam, who also want to do the same thing to him, but I protected my Nabi Alaihi Islam from their plots, just like that I will also be protecting you, Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam from these groups of the elite kuffar of Quraysh, Abu Lahab, Abu Jahl, who keep plotting and thinking how they can kill you, and somehow still, stave off or save themselves from the law of retaliation from the Banu Hashim, And this was also an isharah by Allah to those same Kuffar of the Quraysh that when these verses will be recited in front of them, they will realize that Allah knows full well what they are up to and this is exactly their concern, that how can we find a way to kill the Prophet and the Sahaba without be facing the vengeance of the tribes and clans that those Sahaba and that the Akrim belongs to. Right? So this ayah in itself would have been a hujjah for them, that how is it, that only if Allah Ta'ala revealed to the Prophet it could only be a Prophet who is receiving revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to mention, to be mentioning this incident at this time. And their homes uh, that they used to live in, they lie in ruins. Bima due to their injustice and wrongdoing in the fidala la ayah, and in this again, this is an ayah as a sign, to a community and a people who are seeking knowledge and who are pursuers of knowledge and have knowledge. Wanjainan amanu wa kanu yattaqo, and we gave our salvation, and rescued and delivered. From difficulty and fear and tribulation, those who had iman, wa kanu remember kana comes for and who were ever fearful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who ever adopted and always adopted taqwa, who were ever and always aware and conscientious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this verse is a general verse that means that whenever the people of iman, and people who are firm and steadfast on taqwa, then Allah ta'ala will give them naja'ah from the plots and schemes of the people on earth. So this verse is very simple. Surah Naml, Surah 27, verse 53. If you have this verse, you don't need any amil. And if you don't have this verse, a thousand amils won't be able to help you. It means Allah Ta'ala gives Naja'a to whom and from what. Allah Ta'ala gives Naja'a and salvation from the plots and machinations and enmity and hostility and schemes of people on earth who have enmity towards you, Allah Ta'ala will give najan salvation, but to who? To alladhina amanu, wa kanu yattakun, to those who have iman, and those who are firm and steadfast on taqwa, who stay away from sin. So this is a promise of Allah Subh'anaHu Ta'ala. This is a wird, this is an ayah a person should recite, but they have to live their life according to this ayah. Verses 54 to 57, once again a mention of Sayyidina uh, Lut alayhi salam, which we'll do very briefly, and Allah sponsor this because we've done this many times. And also Lut alayhi salam means Allah ta'ala sent Sayyidina Lut alayhi salam as a prophet and a messenger to his people. And so when he went to his people and he told them, Atatun al fahishata wa antum are you. Doing this perverted indecency, even when your letter means and you are seeing with your own eyes, means that when your eyes are open you are in your senses and then he said <laughs> that do you really lust after men instead of women <laughs> indeed you were but then then if that is so and it was so, then you are each and every one of you are but an ignorant people alright so this shows again in Quran that this is an un- absolutely unacceptable feeling and action to have which Allah Ta'ala has given his censor فَمَا كَانَ that they had no reply so the only reply that they could give was what إِلَّا أَنْ except that they said أَخْرَجُوا آلَ that you should kick out and expel the family of Lut from your town, innahum onasun They are people who are يتطهرون, who want to keep themselves pure. Means even they acknowledge the sinister nature of their crime, the impurity of their crime, and this is the only thing they could say. But Sayyidina al and his al, which means his believers, that they are what onasun, which is also like a variation of nas, means they are people yatahtharun who want to deeply keep themselves clean. Those of you again study Arabic language is a Shadda on the ha right? So this is mazid fi, Shiddate al Faz means Shiddate Mana means are those who want to extremely who keep themselves extremely pure and clean. And so it suggests that you know this other activity is the other opposite. It's an extreme abomination and extreme perversion. Fanjainahu, so Allah Ta'ala says that we gave salvation, we rescued. Him, and his family, مرأته, except his wife. This is an jeep thing, you know, of Allah SWT in the Quran, the wife of a Prophet in the case of Lutlaam, the father of a Prophet in the case of Sayyidina Bulam, the son of a Prophet in the case of Sayyidina, sallam hmm? Not delivered from the punishment, not given salvation, because they were disbelievers in their own, as the case may be, husband or son or father. This is a tremendous thing where Allah Ta'ala has shown us azmat. Allah is Allah and kufr is kufr. And there is no relation that the kafir can present. This is why we are amazed if people think that the kafir can present their philanthropy on the Day of Judgment and attain Jannah. If the kafir cannot even present the fact that their husband was a prophet or their father was a prophet or their son was a prophet, how in the world would they be able to attain Jannah? Yes, there is one possibility, right? And that is the only thing if you ever want to have an opinion on the the kind-hearted, good, philanthropist, non-Muslims of the world. And that is as follows that the ulama have said that if a person does not know true Islam, then they will be liable on the day of judgment for the fitrat of Tawheed. And fitrat of Tawheed means simply their acknowledgement that there is a Supreme Being, And secondly, the acknowledgement of universal morality. So there are perhaps some non-Muslim philanthropists who in their own way believe in a God, who invoke that God, who praise God, who look up at the sky when something happens to them, right? And if they stayed away from immorality along with their philanthropy, then there's a chance, there's a chance, if Allah Ta'ala determines that true Islam hadn't reached them and they will be judged according to this standard, then there's a chance But remember the second part is very important. A person's philanthropy does not, cannot excuse their immorality. And so if they're giving a lot of money in charity, but they are engaging in abuse of the women who work in their foundation, or they're engaged in zina, or they're engaged in other things that are immoral, so philanthropy will not be able to excuse their immorality, let alone their mm, disbelief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. right? Not that we know what anybody is necessarily engaged in, but the point is that these are the two conditions, their inherent fitrah of tawhid and their adherence to universal morality. So what happened, that, what does it mean, that we, Allah ta'ala, how did Allah Ta'ala rescue? So he told Sayyidina al to take him and the believers that they should leave the city at night. So they left at night, but the wife was left behind and she was amongst the people who were left behind. So what happened to the people of Matran And it's something we have mentioned before, Allah ta'ala rained down a shower on them. And indeed it was a strong and intense and evil rain shower or hailstorm that came on them and but however it was matr, <coughs> matr al it was a shower that was showered upon people who had been warned. Okay, verses fifty nine onwards. So here now we also begin. The twentieth Jews of Qur'an Kareem. Kul alhamdulillah salamun ala ibadihillad Allahu khayrun Amma Yushikun so, say, beloved Nabi, okay, so on, that all praise belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala وَالسَّلَامٌ عَلَىٰ إِبَادِهِ الَّذِينَ اصْتَفَىٰ And salam and peace and tidings of peace be on His worshippers and servants and slaves الَّذِينَ اصْتَفَىٰ Those who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Himself has chosen Is Allah ta'ala better or are all of those idols that they associate with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala better? And then that is the rhetorical question from verse 60 onward comes the answer are those, those who they ascribe as partners and associate with Allah Ta'ala better? Or, verse 60 onward, He, that being who created the heavens and the earth, and that being who sends rain and water down from you, from the sky for you. And with that rain and water, Allah, Ta'ala, we, Allah Ta'ala says about Himself that we produce orchards full of beauty and trees uh, who you could never have produced and caused to grow is there in really another deity except for Allah wa ta'ala? no they are but a deviant people this word can have two meanings balhum that they are يعدلون, they have deviated from the path or it can mean that they are people who have equated others with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. or that being or that being any Allah wa ta'ala who made the earth steady who created rivers to who placed rivers to cleave through the midst of the earth, who placed mountains on, and placed and set mountains upon that earth, who placed a partition and bury between the two seas. We had done this before, right? <هَجَزَة> That's what I was explaining to you between the Atlantic and the Pacific Ocean. إِلَّهُمَّ Allah, That can there be a deity, a God, besides Allah Ta'ala, along with Allah Subh'anaHu Ta'ala, no, there can never be one, but most of them don't have knowledge. Most of them do not know. Amans so again another attribute of Allah, And this is a beautiful attribute of Allah, This you should all note, again, verse 27, verse number 62. Amman yujibul multarra ida da'au that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that being Who can there be besides that being? Man, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Yujibu, who listens and responds to who? Al Muttarra The Muttar is the one who turns to Allah subhanahu When He makes dua to Allah Tala Muttar is that person who is in distress who is helpless and restless due to their absolute state of distress and then what does Allah ta'ala do? ويَكْشِفِ السُّوءَ. It means that Allah removes removes the evil and adversity that is falling upon that person. ويَجْعَلُكُمْ خُلَفَاءَ Ard And then He, Allah, ta'l is the Being who has made you the heirs of the earth. ويَجْعَلُكُمْ خُلَفَاءَ Ardi That He has made you the heirs of the earth allah. Can there be a God along with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And little is it that you take heed Hardly do you pay any attention Hardly are you able to receive the advice and admonishment of this So this is a beautiful attribute of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala That he is he المطر, That he listens to those who are distressed And this is something that Nabiya Akram s.a.w. mentioned in the hadith That when a person turns to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as a mutar Muttar means that person who is in such a state of distress that they view Allah Ta'ala as their sole hope. They're so hopeless that they have no hope in anything, any being other than Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala. They're in so distress, So like you would say, Absolutely hopeless, helpless, restless, selfless. They turn to Allah Subhanahu ta'ala in pure ikhlas. All of these words are in this one Arabic word, al-muttar. And once Sayyidina Rasulullah S.A.W. taught us a dua which is mentioned in the hadith and Tafsir ibn Kathir has narrated this dua and he is, was a great muhadith also he is called the chain of this uh, hadith sahih. What is that dua? Allahumma <laughs> rahmataka alju. That O oh Allah it is your mercy that I yearn for alju that I hope for that I seek falatakilni ila nafsi tarfata al That O oh Allah don't leave me. At the whims of my nafs, at the prey to my nafs, even for the little means the blink of an eye, even for the fraction of the moment. Wa aslih li shani kullah and Allah Taala set right aslih, make drust means set right uh, and fix all of my affairs and matters. La ilaha illa ant because indeed Allah Taala there is no God except you. اللهم رحمتك أرجو فلا تكني إلى نفسي wa وأصلح لي شأني كله لا إله إلا أنت. so this is one way amalan where the believers are told to make dua as a muttar. this is the dua of the muttar, the dua of the helpless one in distress who has no hope other than Allah wa ta'ala. so this is maybe the most important part that how could you associate the partners because those partners can never answer your du'as when you are in a time of difficulty. Number 63, Aman and then in or that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who guides you in the darkness of the land and the sea and who sends the winds as heralds and conveyors of glad tidings before his mercy. So it could mean one sense that we did before to you, that winds come before it rains. Same question, Allahumma Allah, that can there be a God along with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala no, Ta'ala Allahu Amma Yushrikoon Then Allah SWT is far exalted high, far exalted and transcends any association that they ascribe to Him. Then again, or can there be a being other than Allah SWT who initiated the creation, who will recreate the creation, who sustains you, who provides you sustenance from the sky and the earth, can there be another God except for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so say to them hatu in kuntum that bring your proof indeed if you are truthful again this is a sentence that is being told by Allah to, Allah to the anbiya to say to the kufar this is not a sentence for those people who think that they alone possess knowledge of hadith to say hatu burhanakum in kuntum sadakin that bring your hadith behind your legal position if indeed you are true this is a very foul misuse of an ayah of quran when allah SWT reveals an ayah to sayyidina Rasulullah to use against the mushrikeen for a muslim layman to address that ayah to a muslim scholar صادقين, that bring me the hadith that is the proof of your legal ruling if indeed you are true and that is a separate topic for a separate time That many legal rulings in all of the madhaib, Hanbali, Shafi, Maliki and Hanafi, many of them are coming from a source known as Ijtihad or from a method of reasoning known as Qiyas or coming from a Nadir or a Qaida or a broader rule that Allah has mentioned in the Quran and the Sunnah. Not everything will have a single one Hadith footnote for it. But either way, to speak like this, to take this tone, even if a person wants to have that mentality, uh, to use the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as your own words, is a very arrogant thing to do. You should never think that Kalamullah can be used as kalam in insan And it's really, it, it, it's, it betrays the arrogance of such people, and the stubbornness of such people, and the jahala of such people, and such people should, like we mentioned earlier, Allah ta'ala mentioned earlier in Qur'an A person should just say salam to them And do not try to answer their questions And bring them the proofs that they want If they ad- ask for the proof Using this language Of Allah wa Ta'ala in Qur'an And what does it mean That say, that, say to them No one knows that which is in this heavens and the earth, the ghaib that which is unseen in the heavens are illallah except for Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala. So again this eye makes it clear that Ilmul ghaib belongs only to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When Allah subhanahu wa Ta'ala said something so clearly, so explicitly for someone to suggest otherwise is absolute folly. Yes Allah wa Ta'ala has given partial knowledge of the unseen to some of his to the anbiya and partial knowledge of unseen to even sometimes ghiranbiyah. But absolute total knowledge of all of the unseen that belongs only and only to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, only and only He has it and He has not conferred all knowledge of unseen to anyone. Even say Narasulallah <inaudible> was given. Partial knowledge of the unseen Not entire knowledge of the unseen And they do not even know They're not even aware Of when it is that we, they will be resurrected This was the jawab to the mushrikeen Who kept pressing the Prophet ﷺ That when will that day of judgment happen When will it come When will it come So Allah is saying that no one knows Only Allah Ta'ala knows You're asking the Prophet for knowledge Of something that he doesn't know Right And you mushrikeen you will, And when it happens You won't even be aware of it Everyone else will realize when it happens, it will catch you unawares. The thing that you are asking about when it will happen, Allah answer to them is this much, that when it happens, it will catch you unawares. Verse number 66, but indeed, nay, their knowledge ends uh, and is obsolete and is futile when it comes to the Akhirah in regards to the Akhirah. Right, and this is true of every atheist that their knowledge has a limit and it ends and is futile and obsolete when it concerns the akhirah Balhum but instead in fact rather they are in doubt concerning it. Balhum Minha Amun but rather no, rather in fact they're blind to it. They're blind to the reality it means that they are spiritually blind to the reality of the Akhirah. Verse 67, And the disbelievers say that when our forefathers, that what when we have become dust, and our ancestors and forefathers have also become dust and bones, at that point, that will we be resurrected. So what did they mean by this? What they meant was that you're saying the dead will come back to life. We've never seen it. They thought it should happen in front of them that people who had died a thousand years ago, they should come back to life, that they should witness some resurrection. Right, as you know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't operate like that. All of humanity will be resurrected in one shot together at the end of time. Nobody can be resurrected now to prove that to you that it can happen. So said, nahnu wa min kablu. And indeed, we and our ancestors, our forefathers, in fact, we've been promised this before. These are nothing but myths and fables and tales of the ancients. right? So actually here, the forefathers were pious, and actually they're showing here in verse 68 that they're leaving their pious forefathers, who also used to believe, right? And obviously every community is ultimately descendant from a community of believers because every community of humanity was sent to profit and every community would have people who responded to that prophet, right but they don't accept it so this is their view of uh, so it is wrong to view uh, the pious religion of the pious forefathers as merely tales of the ancients right Urdu ye bas kissa kahani hai right and some people today again the atheist says the same thing about Quran <laughs> The atheist today says the same thing about Qur'an. Right? So what is that? That's another way of saying illa That this is nothing other than fables and myths of the ancients. That tell them Tell them okay then travel into the land and go see what happened to the ancients. That go see what was the plight of the criminals, the wrongdoers, the sinners and as you will see how they were punished but how they're living in ruins. So what does Allah Ta'ala mean here? This is the closest thing to a Day of Judgment type thing, that if you want to see it, you can go see it. it means, where are those people? So when you go and see the ruins of Ad and Thamud, why are they in ruins? What happened? Why weren't the people still giving birth to one another? What happened to that civilization, right? If a punishment didn't come, the people would still be there. They would still be giving birth, and they would still be sons. So when you go and see these massive ruins... And you see a place that clearly from the architecture of the ruins was settled by numerous multitudes of people who had a lot of power and wealth and prowess. And now they've completely vanished. Where did they go? Where did they go? Right? So that's what Allah Ta'ala means. That you should go see. You will see, yes, in a sense, that was the type of day of judgment thing, that that was a punishment. You say, whence will the punishment come? Well, you can see a type of punishment that has already come, if, if that indeed will impact in your heart. So they also, so they also respond to the Prophet sorry, verse 70. Wala تَحْزَنْ عَلَيْهِمْ Wala تَكُنْ fi ذَيكِ mimma yamkurun so now Allah gives the Salih to Sayyidina Rasulullah says, that don't grieve over them and don't be troubled and distressed about by what they plot and what they scheme. And then verse 71, then they will also say that when is this promise going to come? When will this promise materialize if you are being truthful? So 72, you should say to them, Prophet that soon a part of the punishment Soon, a part of the punishment, some of what you are seeking to hasten, is going to come up right behind you. Is going to afflict you. So this is the commentators say, referring to bother. That part of the punishment will be battle of bother. When seventy of the Mushrikin are killed and seventy imprisoned. Others say that this is referring to death. okay, look, sooner, sooner, soon enough, you're going to die. And when you die in the qabr azab al-qabr, you will soon face that punishment. So don't worry if the Day of Judgment may be millions of years later, or centuries, or in their case, thousands and thousands of years later. Soon enough when you die, you will face a portion of that punishment, and that is the azab of qabr that they will face. Still Allah Ta'ala then tries to reach out to them in His mercy. Wa inna fadlin That look, don't you see that your Rabb, Nabi Kareem ﷺ, your Rabb has fadl al nas on all of humanity. is of tremendous grace and graciousness to all of humanity. وَلَكِنَّ أَكْثَرُهُمْ لَا يَشْكُرُونَ However, the vast majority of them are not thankful, they remain ungrateful. What does it mean? They don't accept iman, they don't worship Allah Ta'ala, they persist in sin. Those are all of the ways that they fail to do shukr and indeed your Rab knows what they keep as a sir what, what the sir of their sudur what they hide and their hearts conceal, their breath conceal and Allah Ta'ala knows what they reveal and there is nothing unknown there is nothing hidden there can be nothing in the heaven and the earth Except that it is recorded in a clear book right? And this clear book is referring to the Lohim Mahfuz Now Lohim Mahfuz what does it mean? Allah wa ta'ala knows everything In his own faculty of knowledge right? But this is the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Just like sometimes we may know things But we like to keep a record of that knowledge So this is the choice of Allah ta'ala It's not his need that he has to put it in Lohe mahfuz to remember it it's the choice of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to inscribe his knowledge and to record rather not sorry not inscribe his knowledge to inscribe all matters that will befall creation in the Lohi mahfuz right uh In fact it may be precisely for that reason that all of the matters of creation are not worthy of being exclusively in the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but rather it befits that they should be inscribed on a created tablet, Lo and Mafuz. It's only the things about Allah Ta'ala Himself that are worthy of only existing in his knowledge and not being tainted by being written on creation. Right? In other words That all of the A'mal And af'al And af'shah And everything in this world Is makhluk So it befits that All of the acts That they do Should remain On a tablet lo is also makhluk Whereas the af'al And irada Of Allah His acts And His wishes Because He is khalik That is something That will not Be in the Indeed this Quran narrates and relates to the Bani Israel Many of those matters about which they were deferring and disputing So what are matters like that? Well number one There is Allah Ta'ala mentioned Surah Al-Imran, Surah 3, verse 67. One thing that they disagreed about was saying that a Jew or a Christian. So the Jews and Christians, the Ahli Kitab, the Bani Israel had an argument about this so what does يَهُودِيًّا وَلَا نَصْرَانِيًّا That Sayyidina Abraham is not and was never neither a Jew nor a Christian. But however, he was a pious incliner towards the submission to the truth of Allah subhanahu wa كَانَ mushrikeen. <مُشْرِكِين> and he was not from the idol worshippers. This is something the mushrikeen thought, perhaps, that Sayyidina Abraham was one of them. So the Quran has come to decide and settle these things and many other things that the Quran has decided. وَإِنَّهُ wa Indeed is the Book of Hidayah and the Book of Mercy. for Believers. إِنَّ <laughs> بَيْنَهُمْ And indeed your Rab, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, will decisively decide and settle the matter between them with his hukum according to his command and decree. وَهُوَ الْعَزِيزُ Alim And he is the Almighty One and the All-Knowing One. He is Almighty means Nothing can escape his power. They cannot fabricate any lie against him without him correcting it. And he is Al-Azim, he is all-knowing. No one can hide anything. So nor can they lie and fabricate something in the revelation. Nor can they hide anything in the revelation. Allah tells Al-Aziz al- Al-Aziz al al-aziz he is almighty, all-knowing fa ala Allah and hence therefore have tawakkal on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rely entirely and exclusively on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala innaka 'alal haqqil mubeen because indeed you nabiyyakum sallallahu alayhi wa sallam you are on al mubeen you are on the true and manifest clear truth so you should simply have tawakkal on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah will settle and decide everything about the ahkam in لَا tusmiul In indeed, You cannot make the dead here. So the kufar being likened to the dead in this ayah. Just like you cannot make the dead here, you cannot make the kufar here. Walla And you cannot make the deaf here. What can't you make here? duaa And you cannot make the deaf here. You can neither make the dead here nor the deaf here in the call. When they turn away mudbirin, literally they turn their backs, they spurn you; they turn away from you in aversion. O man, ta behadin Nor can you guide the blind, right? And the to him away from their deviation. In tusmeu illa man, in tusmeu illa mai yu'minun bi ayatina fahum Muslimun You can only and only make listen that person. Who has iman, who believes in the our verses of revelation, for whom Muslimun, and they are the ones who have submitted to the verses of revelation and the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So those who believe in our signs and those who acquiesce, they are the only ones you can make here. This ayah number eighty, إنك لَا ul الْمَوْتَى raises this famous issue of what we call semai mota. That what does it mean that can the dead hear? Can the dead hear? So, for example, when you go to a grave, can the dead hear? Right? Okay, but before I do that, because that's just, this is a kinaya, right? So what Allah spawned, ta'ala is telling the Prophet Sallallahu that you will never be able to influence these people. They are like, they are dead, dead, dead or deaf. You can never influence them because they are so firmly stubborn on their decision to disbelieve. And this is still true today. Still true today That there are people today Who you just cannot convince them Because they are so stubborn But What is increasingly missing today Is the sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah And what is that? That the sunnah of the Prophet Was to feel terrible grief over this To view it as a tragedy To be saddened by the fact That people were so stubborn That they wouldn't listen To be so saddened That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala To console him And we aren't like that So today we can easily <coughs> you know, chastise people that you're stubborn, you're as stubborn as the kufar, you're deaf, dumb, and blind, you're not listening, right? But how many people today can feel that sunnah compassion and feel this sadness over this fact and view this as a tragedy? So a person has to have the sunnah feelings in their life at all time. If the, Without the sunnah feelings, even the Qur'anic meanings will not be of benefit. Jumla yagrakam. Without the sunnah feelings the Qur'an's meanings will not be a benefit to you. That's what you're here, you're studying the meanings. Without the sunnah feelings, the Qur'an's meanings will not be a benefit to you. So we have to have that same feeling of compassion that Nabi Karim s.a.w. has. Otherwise, we'll just take this meaning and say, yes, look at these people, they're all deaf and dumb, and they can't hear, and that's it. And we'll just write all of them off in one fell swoop. That's not the way you've seen that. so that's not how he felt. Okay, all right. Now this issue about the literal meaning of this, right? So first it's clear that the verse wasn't meant literally, right? It was meant that these people are as if they are deaf and dead. However, it is a literal aspect to it because the, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is doing a tashbih. He's saying that you cannot make people who are uh, like dead here, uh, just the, any more than you can make the people who are really dead here, right? So this is the question of Sema'i Muta. And this is not the be-all and end-all of Islamic scholarship has certain circles but you wouldn't be aware of them. Well, the Malik may be aware of them, but most of you wouldn't be aware of this. That this is a debate that rages among certain Ulama. Even the sahaba they differed about this issue. For example, Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Umar they know, he believed that the dead could hear not everything from everyone all the time, but they had the potential possibility the, the potential ability to hear where Sayyidina Aisha um, aisha she denied uh, and she didn't believe that the dead had any ability to hear whatsoever so this verse that we did over here in Surah Namal seems to, seems to deny this similarly Allah Subh'anaHu Wa elsewhere in a couple of places in the Quran has used the same uh, same simile we're going to do shortly in Surah Rum. Allah SWT in Surah 1 verse 52 The same thing فَإِنَّكَ لَا تُصْمِئُ الْمَوْتَى وَلَا السمع, That you summon summa du'aa إِذَا وَلَوَ مُدْبِرِينَ Same verse is going to appear there Right? Okay Then Allah Ta'ala in another ayah of Quran Kareem in Surah Fatir which uh, Surah 35 verse 22 Allah SWT وَمَا يَسْتَوِي الْأَحْيَاءُ وَلَا That indeed the living and the dead can never be the same they can never be equal إِنَّ اللَّهَ يسمع من يشاء but Allah Ta'ala causes to hear whomsoever He wants. وَمَا أَنْتَ مَّنْ فِي الْقُبُورِ But you cannot make them hear in the graves. So even this verse itself has been interpreted by people in multiple ways. If you put the emphasis on the last part, then it's suggesting that you, Prophet and you, humanity, you will not be able to make people in the graves listen to you. If you put emphasis on the middle part, in it means that Allah Ta'ala is saying that you cannot decree for them to be able to hear, but Allah Ta'ala makes whoever He wants hear. And so the composite position that the ulama have arrived at, Is that you cannot deny entirely the possibility that dead can hear. Nor can you assert that they always and forever hear. So the dead have the possibility of hearing. But they will only hear what Allah wills them to hear. And Allah has not willed them to hear every single person and every single statement. Let alone every single noise that may may be made at their grave. At the same time there is an ayah that is in more encur- more suggestive that the dead may hear and that is the famous ayah in surah al-imran verses 169 to 170 that is about the shuhada that you should never view the people who have been martyred you should never deem those who were slain in the path of allah swt to be dead Bal Ahyaun inda لَبِّهِمْ يُرْزَكُونَ But instead they're living in the presence of their Rabb, يُرْزَكُونَ And they're being provided for and sustained by Him. Then Farahina Bima أَتَاهُمَ اللَّهُ مِنْ فَضْلِهِ And they're rejoicing in what Allah Ta'ala has bestowed upon them, on His bounty. وَيَسْتَبْشِرُونَ بِالَّذِينَ لَمْ يَلْحَقُوا بِهِمْ مِنْ خَلْفِهِمْ and they get receive good news about those who have not yet joined them, means that those who would be martyrs later but haven't joined them yet. So that suggests that they are still getting information about those who are still amongst the living. So if Allah Ta'ala has certainly said that in Quran about the shuhada. And many Ulama of the view that because the Siddiqeen and nabiyeen are higher ranks than the Shuhada, So just like the Shuhada remain alive in their graves. Just like that all of the Siddiqeen are alive in their graves. And all of the nabiyeen are alive in their graves. And either way it is ijmaab at the Sunnah that Jamal. The Sayyidina Rasulullah he saw some, is alive in his grave. And he, he in his Rodha and he hears what the person says when the person goes to Madinah Munawrah, goes to Nabwi, and addresses Sayyidina Rasulullah. Right? So that was uh, one thing over here. And there's an interesting hadith which in, in, in the seer mentions this hadith and again he says it is Sahih. He says that whenever a Muslim passes by and greets says salam at the grave of someone they knew in this world, so that's a possible condition those of you who study Usul, this is either كَيْدَ or qaeda اِتْرَاضِي You won't remember that, even if you're in fourth year. كَيْدَ اِتْفَاكِي means that it's whether they knew them in the world or not, it's relevant. كَيْدَ اِتْرَاضِي means that no, it means someone whom we knew in this world and only such a person. Either way, the Prophet said that whenever a Muslim passes by and greets, and he says salam at the grave of someone they knew in this world, and it may also be true for someone that didn't know. But Allah Ta'ala returns the soul of the deceased to his body so that he can reply to the greeting. So this hadith is in that side that suggested, okay, if there's a certain look, if there's a certain relation, then the dead may be able to hear. Right? Okay. Then verse number 82. Oh, Allah Akbar. And then when the decree shall manifest itself in front of them, when the promise will be fulfilled upon them, and then what does that mean? Then Allah says that we will bring forth the creature from the earth, the creature or animal from the earth. تُكَلِّمُهُمْ And that animal will speak to them. And what will he say that And he will speak to them Telling them that people Were not certain of our signs Or certain of ayat Or that people did not believe And you could also read this If you pause to That he will speak to them Pause And then I mean a separate topic In And uh, Indeed humanity, indeed people are such that they do not really have yakin in our signs. So what does it mean literally here? It means, look, Allah Ta'ala has said this in Qur'an, that towards the end of time, min al-ard, that there will be a creature, an animal from inside the earth that will be taken out by Allah Ta'ala. And that animal and creature will speak to the people. But many people, they don't have yakin in this. And a lot of people don't believe in this type of stuff. Although well, knows what he says right there. That a lot of people won't believe in it. And some believers also kind of get a bit shaky. Yeah, I don't know, and then all these alamatif of is that really going to happen? And you know, But they think they can believe that one day some comet will come and crash on the earth. And that's how we're going to go. They don't believe in this type of stuff. Allah Hukmar, Ajeeb. Right. That's how the atheist believes, and the atheist also believes the end of time will come, because for them the universe was generated merely on the basis of probability, so that same probability will lead to their doom and destruction, because there is one over a gazillion probability that one day an asteroid or a comet will hit this earth such that it will destroy the earth, or if nothing else, people will live that long that the sun will explode, right? Because the sun is a star going through different stages of growth, right? So they also have their concept of end. Right. Okay. Now, what is this Dambat al-ard? So, in the Sahih of Muslim, there's a Hadith where Sayyidina Rasulullah mentioned that the Day of Judgment will only take place after ten signs manifest themselves. I will not tell you one, so to keep you in suspense in case we ever do choose to do that series with you about Allah Qiyamah. So one of those ten signs is min that the creature and animal from the earth will be released. Another hadith also in the Sahih Muslim, Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Amal. He narrates from Sayyidina Rasulullah that one of the last signs, one of the last signs of the day of judgment will be what? The rising of the sun from the west, and the emergence of dumb at the creature of the earth. And this and that will happen before mid-morning, so the sun will rise from the west, and before mid-morning, before Zawal, the creature of the earth will come out, and whichever one of these two, sorry, the sun will rise from the west, and the creature of the earth will come out, and whichever of these two appear first, the other one will follow soon thereafter. And a the third hadith, also in the Sahih Muslim, Sayyidina Abu Huraira narrates that Sayyidina Rasulullah said that when three signs appear from the al-Qiyama, the Iman of a person who did not believe before the manifestation of the signs will no longer count, will not be of any avail. Just like we said in the Fir'aun when he saw, the, when he was about to be drowned, his Iman was not valid. When these three signs appear, then if after that a person takes Iman, it won't even be accepted from them. What are those three signs? Number one, and he will not be earned, uh, he will not be able to repent from his sins. What are those three signs? Number one, so for the believer, the believer's Toba will not be accepted, and the non-believer's Iman will not be accepted. When three signs of the day, just are manifested: number one, the rising of the sun from the west; number two, the appearance of Dajjal, and number three, the emergence of the al Ard, of the creature and animal from the earth. There are many hadith. There are many. Additional details about Damatul Arad, I will just mention one hadith that is also in the Seha Sitta. that what will this beast of the earth do, so this beast or creature, and maybe beast is a good way, the beast of the earth will emerge. And the Sayyidina Amr al-Nari said Some said that the beast of the earth will emerge and it will, the Damatul Arad will have with it the staff of Musa a.s and the ring of Sayyidina Sulaiman al-Islam Rambayatullah another meaning that he sealed the letter so the ring of Sayyidina Sulaiman islam and it will uh, destroy uh, it will illuminate the faces of the Mu'minin and it will place a seal or a stamp on the noses of the unbelievers All right. verses number 83 onward after mentioning one alama of Qiyamah the day of the Yama mentioned, the day of ummah and that will be the day when from each and every nation we will uh, resurrect and gather a group from that people, a host from that people, a group from that people, who is that? who used to repudiate our verses of revelation and our signs, for whom you own, and they will be stopped, they will be held in check, they will be restrained, some ulama say that they will be The nations will be proceeding Towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And some the people in front will be stopped So those left behind Will be able to catch up And so that their hisab as a comb Will all take place one in front of the other Hatta idha ja'u Until they arrive When they arrive then qadda, then When they all arrive Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Will address all of these unbelievers together And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Will ask them this question and kalam that have you falsified? You denied my verses, walam tuhi tu biha ilma when you did not have complete ilm and knowledge about them. Amma da kuntum taqmalun and indeed, even other than that, even other than the act of denying the verses of Allah Taala's revelation, they were other things that you were doing. Right? That is one way to translate this. Another way to translate kuntum that What in the world were you doing? Why were you denying the revelations of Allah Alright. So this verse, although again Allah Ta'ala is saying it for disbelievers, well actually here it's not clear because Allah Ta'ala just said Kulli umma. So every single ummah, this will happen to them. So we are included in that ummah. And so this is a big question for believers, right? That what if Allah Ta'ala asks us this question? be ayati tu biha ilma. That did you, you deny the verses of Allah Ta'ala, deny may mean you viewed them to be false, or your life betrayed them, you didn't adhere them, you didn't follow them in your life, and you made that decision even before you got proper knowledge of Quran Kareem. Right? So how many Mu'mineen will there be who will have to face this question, right? That they don't have knowledge of Qur'an? And how many self-styled, agnostic, atheists born born into Muslim families will face this question? That they didn't get the proper, complete ilm of Qur'an, but still they chose to deny the revelation of Allah subhanahu <laughs> wa ta'ala. Children chose to disbelieve in Allah subhanahu ta'ala. So this is a very important statement, Surah Tana Maha 27, verse 84. وَقَالْقَوْلُ عَلَيْهِمْ بِمَا ظَلَمُوا فَهُمْ لَا يَنْتِقُونَ And then the promise and the decree that Allah Ta'ala has the sentence will be passed on them because of their zulm بِمَا ظَلَمُوا because of their wrongdoing and sin and injustice and oppression فَهُمْ لَا يَنْتِقُونَ And they will be unable to speak. They will have nothing to say. Alam anna That do you not see that we have made the night for them to rest therein, and we have made the day for visibility, and so they can see in it. Indeed, in this there is signs for the believers. For the believers. Normally, up till now, these things, that this is mentioned as a sign for unbelievers to accept iman. This is a sign for people of iman to realize that Moth is coming. That night and day and night and day and night and day, right? Because sleep, remember we said sleep was the sister of death. So every time they sleep and they wake up, it's like they die, they're resurrected. So the believers should be so sensitized to this act of sleeping and waking up that every time they sleep, they should think about their death. Every time they wake up, they should think about Yom al-Hashr, the day of resurrection. Allah is mentioning the sensibility of the believers. So it's a sign for the believers. Another way it can be it's a sign for the believers that Allah Ta'ala has, like we mentioned to you earlier, that night has more barakah in it for resting and the day has more barakah in it for earning. Then verse 87, the trumpet, so Allah Sponson mentions that. What else is going to happen on the Day of Judgment? السوري, that this will be the day in which the trumpet will be blown. This So you know that the beginning of Qiyam will be announced to the blowing of a horn or trumpet by Sayyidina Israfil, the angel, Israfil, salam. And then what will happen when that trumpet is blown? And this is going to be few, two ayahs describing the calamity that is known as the Day of Judgment, something that we will do with you on the 30th Juz, in Shaval, inshallah, uh, because We decided not to do the last Juz for you now, we'll keep you in further cliffhanger. We're going to launch the next academic year by teaching you the 30th Juz in one weekend in September, which I'll announce to you as get closer to the time insha'Allah. In thirdly the adjus we will go in detail over the different cataclysmic events that happen on the day of judgment. Here Allah in two eyes in 87 88 is going to mention what's going to happen when that trumpet is blown, right? So the entire system of the universe will collapse. Order will give way to chaos. Discipline will give way to mayhem. Creation will become uncreated. That is what's going to happen when, in, in sum, when that Trumpet is blown So Allah wa ta'ala says that so من فِي وَمَن فِي الأرض إلا من شاء الله That every single creation that is in the heavens And every single creation that is in the earth Will be terrified Except whomsoever Allah Ta'ala wills So who is it that Allah Ta'ala wills? Different Mufasa have taken different views If it's referring to the first blowing of the Trumpet which signals the end of the world, then I mentioned to you before that Allah has that this will not happen when there are believers left on earth, Sahih Muslim, as long as there is somebody who says, Allah, Allah. If it's referring, however, to the second blowing of the trumpet, which is the beginning of the Day of Judgment itself, one blow is to end the world, second blowing of the horn is to begin the process of the Day of Judgment, then that is something that everyone will be terrified about, and so, some ulama have said that the exception to that will be the angels Jibreel, Mikael, and Israfil, and Israel. And the, and the angels who carry the arsh of Allah, angels who are below the arsh of Allah, these are the only ones which will be able to survive that terror. but Otherwise, everyone will come to Allah. وَكُلُّنْ دَاخِرِينَ Every single one will come to Allah's SWT in complete humility. And then وَتَلُّ الْجِبَالَ تَحْسَبُهَا That you will see, تَحْسَبُهَ jamidatan, That those mountains that you had been, you, you will see the mountains and think them to be fixed, you think them to be solid, but they will be passing away just like the clouds pass away and the clouds, what's that word? Dissipate clouds dissipate, right? You see a huge mass of cloud, and then it dissipates into nothing, just like that. The mountains, which you think and esteem to be solid and fixed on this earth, now they will pass by and they will dissipate in the same way that the clouds do. And all of this is what Sun Allahi. This is all the design and the doing of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Alladhi an qana at shay, kull This is Allah سبحانه who has perfected and arranged everything to happen this way. Innuhu khairum bimat Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all aware of each and every single thing that you do. Manja Hasana, whomsoever brings a good deed to Allah ta'ala on that day of judgment, for who they will receive something that is better from it. Whummin Faziomi is in Aminoon and they will be safe from the terrifying fear of that day. Wamanja and whomsoever brings an evil to Allah SubhanAllah Fakumbat Ujuhuhum Final and then they will be toppled on their faces into the fire of Jahannam And what will be told to them illa Illama Kuntum Ta that were you you were recompensed or you are given requit for only what you have done. Only the thing that you committed, that Malone, you are only getting jizal for those things that you used to do. Alright. Here when Allah subhanahu said that this was His doing and His design, but it meant that just like Allah subhanahu masterfully, miraculously created everything from nothing, just like that Allah subhanahu wa masterfully, miraculously undo all of that creation one by one. What is that good deed? So first, meaning is the way I translated it, Manja'a Hasana, anyone who brings a good deed. Some have taken this alif laam, for those of you who study Nahu alif to be ahdi, Al Hasana means Kalimat al Tawheed. That person who brings to La ilaha illallah will find something better than it, means they will find Jannah, and otherwise, good deeds just means Hasana, just means good deeds. Similarly, then sayya can either mean sins, or sayya can mean the act of kufr or shirk. Verse 91 then say, this is something that Nabiya, Allah is telling Nabiya to say. Innama umirtu an a'buda, rabbahadihil baladil dati. Innama umirtu dindin, I have been commanded, an a'buda, that I have been commanded with nothing other than I worship, rabbahadihil baladil dati, halnamaha. This city that Allah has made sacred and has made it a sanctity and sanctified it. This is referring to makkum akarma, walahu kulli shaykh, and that to whom. Uh, uh, to whom all things belong. Allāh ﷻ tells that being to whom all things belong. I worship that being. To whom everything belongs exclusively. Wa mīrtu an akūna min al And I, Nabi have been commanded to be amongst the Muslimīn. Now here, Muslimīn is in Ishara That The first. Uh, Allah Ta'ala is telling Nabiya that you're commanded on awudah that you should do ibadah. Second, you've been commanded to be amongst the Muslimin. It means that submission to Allah Ta'ala does not consist of just ibadah, but even beyond worshipping Allah Ta'ala is another realm altogether which is submitting to him. So submitting to him means in addition to worshipping, I submit and follow and obey each and every one of Allah Ta'ala's commands and laws and rules. And this is Sayyidina Rasulullah saying this about himself. So when Allah when is well, proclaiming in Quran that Sayyidina Rasulullah has been commanded with, with this, so then who are me and you right, to think that either we can get by in life without ibadah or we can get by in life without this name, without submission. When our beloved Prophet and Messenger has been commanded with nothing else but to worship Allah and to submit to Him. And third, wa'an atlu al Quran, and I've been commanded to do tilawa of Quran. So this is the hukm to do tilawa of Quran in Arabic. Atluwa, you cannot use that verb. Atluwa, you cannot use the verb tilawa, recite for anything other than Arabic. You cannot do tilawa of English tarjama. You cannot do tilawa of Urdu tarjama. You cannot do tilawa of a Persian translation. Tilawa, the verb can only be used for the Arabic. So when the Nabi Al-Qur'an commanded to recite the Arabic Qur'an, each and every one of us has also been commanded to recite the Arabic Qur'an al So ibadah, taslim, and tilawat al Qur'an. This shows the vast importance of this amal of tilawat of Qur'an. <speaking in Hebrew> and whomsoever is rightly guided, they seek guidance, adopt guidance, submit that guidance to the benefit of their own self alone. It doesn't benefit Allah Ta'ala if everybody falls to that. man And for that person who is astray and spurns the guidance. So tell them, Nabiya says that you won't be responsible for them. You're just a warner. وَقُلْ Alhamdulillah And say... All praise and praise itself is for Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala, Allah ta'ala alone. ayatihi and soon, shortly Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala says, indeed show you his signs Fata and they will be signs that you will surely recognize. وَمَا رَبُّكَ بِغَافِلٍ أَمَّا and indeed your Rabb is not unaware and not he is not unaware he is not heedless and He knows He is not unaware heedless of each and every single thing that you do means Allah سبحانه knows each and every single thing and He will recompense each and every person for what they do on the day of judgment. Yes, one hadith I wanted to mention to you about the trumpet. So in the Sunan of Tirmidhi, say Sayyid al-Khudri al-Naraysat the Prophet's said that, and he was expressing his feeling here. Again, this is a feeling. Obviously, the Bassem was living. He said, "How can I live a life of pleasure? How can I live a life of enjoyment when the blower of the trumpet already has the horn in his mouth and is listening intently with his head lowered?" Eagerly waiting for the command of Allah Ta'ala to be put in his ear to blow. Means that Nabi Muhammad was saying that Because he is the last Prophet And don't look, there's been 1400 years In terms of the history of humanity When you enter the age of the Prophet You're in the last age The last stage of humanity This is the final stage of humanity This is the end stage of humanity Because we are the end Prophet, the end religion, the end book So because of that the angel has, and it's been 1,400 years and running now, has his lips on the trumpet and is waiting eagerly. is in a state of complete attention, waiting for the command to come. So that the Sahaba asked Sayyidina Rasulullah that uh, how How do you advise us? What should we do then if this is the case? So the Paul said that this is what you should feel and you should say and you should feel. Hasbunullahu <laughs> anim Alallahi that Allah subhanahu ta'ala is sufficient for us and He is the best of guardians and we will have wakkal only and only on Him, given that we are living in such precarious times that the end of time is near. This is the sensibility that Nabi Klim Sallallahu had. So we are fourteen hundred years closer to that end than the Prophet was. So the Sunnah feeling again today would be a feeling of imminence. Our own death is imminent. The death of the world is imminent. The end of the world is imminent. Not in some type of doomsday conspiracy scenario, but in the terms of making us do amal, making us hasten to good deeds, hasten to make tawbah, hasten to turn towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, meaning the sunnah feeling is a sensibility that time is running out. Surah al Surah number 28. This is the last Makki Surah, and it was in fact revealed to Sayyidina Rasulullah on the way, in parts of it, on the way from Makkah-Makkah to madinah and this is because Sayyidna Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was sad about leaving Makkah-Makkah from the madina and specifically verse number, um, verse number eighty-five, uh, is where Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala says, "Inna ladi falad alaikal Qurana la radduka ilamad." That indeed that Allah ta'ala who has decreed the Qur'an and dispensed the Qur'an upon you, that same Allah ta'ala, Will return you back to, means the place of oh the place of return, means will return you back to Muqqamu Karma So on the way, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu glad timing. this glad timing. Glad mim. Timing. Alhamdulillah minashaitoonarji mi bismillahi r-Rahmani r-Rahim. Mim mimtil ka ayatun kitabul muqbin. That these are the verses of the clear and clarifying book. Nato aleika mim min naba imusa with Firawn abilhak. Here now, this panel is going to mention the story of Sayyid Musa alayhi salam going to Firawn. Something we've done in Surah Kahf, Surah Taaho. We done it recently. But again, few more details here. But mostly we can just content ourselves with translation, right? But most important part here is بِالْحَقِّ لِكَوْمِي يُؤْمِنُونَ For the people who have imam means that the story of Sayyidina Muslim has a tremendous lesson in it for us. That itself should be maybe a dedicated talk or maybe a dedicated series of talks to cover the whole story of Sayyidina Muslim from all the different ayat and ahadith and extract the lessons. From all of those stages in that story for us. This is what Allah subhanahu is saying. It's been recited to the Baasim of يُؤْمِنُونَ For the sake of a people who believe. Alright. Verse number four onward. Deed Fir'aun was a person who had either ascended on earth or who was arrogantly self-glorifying himself on earth. وَجَالَ أَحْلَهَا شِيَعًا Then he divided his people into groups. So this word Shia means an Arabic faction. And so Fra'an was guilty of this, that he divided his people into factions, meaning he discriminated on the basis of race. So the Copts, the Qiptis were one faction, and the Bani Israel were another faction. Yastad And he weakened a group from amongst them, which is meaning the Bani Israel. How did he do that? How did he weaken that group? Or really, You can take the tanween for killed here, Minority group from amongst them. That he slaughtered their sons. Butchered their sons. ohom, And uh, while sparing their, here it says women, but it means by sp- but here Nisan means binat, and Allah Ta'ala spared their daughters and kept their daughters alive. Innahu min al mufsideen. Indeed, For'an was from amongst those terrible transgressors who spread mischief and sedition on earth. But Allah Ta'ala says His intention number five, in verse number 5, وَنُرِيدُ أَنَّ مُنَّ أَلَّذِينَ فِي الْأَرْضِ We intend to send our special manna and our special favor and blessings and to treat kindly those who are weakened and treated contemptuously on earth. Allahum Aimmata And we will make them ai am means we will make them leaders, and we will make them warithim, we will make them the heirs of that earth. And <coughs> And we will, uh, we will strengthen them, we will empower them, uh, we will empower them on earth. So, Firaun and Hamana, this is now a mention of Hamana, was Firaun's right hand advisor that Pharaoh and Haman and their armies they will be shown what they feared most from these weakened people in other words that the, what did they fear? you remember that Pharaoh was told right, what was it by an astrologer who interpreted some stars or something that a male child from this community is going to overthrow you. So the greatest fear will be realized that indeed Sayyidina Musa will overthrow. And that ultimately when will they be shown this? When they drown. So at the moment when Faraon and Haman and all of their armies will be drowned. They will realize what has come to pass. Okay first Allah Ta'ala mentions the story very beginning when Sayyidina Musa wa is a baby. وَأَوْهَيْنَا إِلَى ummi Musa. An, ar, okay, we sent wahi onto the mother of Sayyidina Musa First thing I mentioned to you before, that this shows that Allah Ta'ala can communicate with ghair anbiya. Allah Ta'ala can send information on non-anbiya. He will not send scripture on them, but he can send some type of inspiration on them. Normally, we, in the deen of Islam, we refer to this as, as ilham, but linguistically you can call it a wahi. Technically he means scriptural revelation that is only given to Anbiya. Ilham is that inspiration that Allah Ta'ala gives to Ghair Anbiya. And because there is no proof, no delil anywhere in Qur'an and Sunnah that this has stopped. Nabua has stopped with the Prophet But Allah Ta'ala continues to inspire non-Anbiya. Not with scripture, not with kitab, not with revelation. But He may inspire them with a feeling or a meaning or inclination, just like we asked to be inspired when we play Salatul Istikhara. So this process of ilham, that it can happen on Aghiyar Nabi, is established from Quran. Right? And you're going to see, it's, it's going to happen more than once. So Allah, Allah sent this inspiration on the mother of Sayyidina Mulsayhi Salaam, and what did uh, Allah subhanahu tell her? That you should nurse him, nurse Sayyidina Mulsayhi salam but when you fear for him, whenever you fear for his life, the soldiers are drawing near, he's, Getting big enough to, you know, become one year old or people will notice him, then what you should do, you should cast him in the river. But, la تخافي don't be afraid, wa la and don't be sad, don't grieve in any way. Inna la duhu ilayki, that indeed Allah says, that indeed we will return and restore him to you min al Mursaleen And we will make him from amongst the mursaleen from the rusul, from the messengers you know, from the prophets so, if you fast forward the story then this is what she did, right she placed him in the boat and then what happened then the Allah of Ra'un, the people of Ra'un the family of Ra'un picked up, uh, took him picked up and took say, baby Musa in and actually he would just become Lahum Aduvun he would become an enemy to them later and he would become a sorrow to them, meaning a sorrow to for to Fir'aun. Why? In the Haman Because indeed Faraon, Haman and their armies were actually sinners. So the wife of Faraon said, and her name is Asir a very pious woman, uh, who was actually later tortured by Pharaoh. And Allah ma'alusi rimulana's tafsir al-mani has detailed that incident uh, in great detail. And Nabiya Qayyim said in the Hadith that there will be two wives of his on, in the akhirah. When Ummul U'manine Khadija was passing away, so he told her that, Oh, you're going, go say salam to my two wives. And she was stunned because in her lifetime, Nabiya Qayyim, she was the only wife that Prophet had ever had. So he said, No, Maryam and Asya. The Maryam, uh, the mother of Sayyidina Isa, will be married to the Prophet Asim in the Akhirah, as will Asiya, who is the, this wife of Firaun, Imratu Firaun. So, Sayyidina Asiya, the wife of Firaun, what did she say? She said that this baby, uh, this is what she said when she wanted to keep baby Musa, because first Firaun had no desire to keep him. Second, if her is a hard hearted person. Some commentators say Pharaoh realized he had a who in the world would put a baby boy in the river. Only a mother from the Banna Israel would do that, trying to save her baby boy from being slaughtered by him. So she said to Pharaoh that maybe we can keep him, that he can be kurrat, he can be a coolness of the eyes, ain't li walaka a coolness for my eyes and for your eyes. In other words, the point is La tuk don't kill him. So this suggests that Pharaoh's initial reaction was that this is must be one of those babies that should be killed. That maybe he will be a benefit somehow, us, useful to us, or maybe we can even adopt him as a son. And they weren't aware of who it is that they were adopting and what he is going to do when he grows older. This is uh, another thing that we normally comment on when we talk about this ayah, this shows that wives can convince their husbands of anything. <laughs> yes, even if the husband is as hard-hearted as Fir'aun, right? Fir'aun is a mass murderer, mass killer, genocidal maniac. But his wife tells him, and he fully intends to kill this baby. But his wife says, oh, let's keep him. Maybe he can be a coolness to my eyes and your eyes. Maybe we can even adopt him as a son, take him all the way to the royal palace. That's ability of women. <laughs> so if any wife says, oh, I can't convince my husband, we say, oh, even Asya could convince Pharaoh." Right? You cannot have a husband who's more hard-hearted than Pharaoh, could you? Right? So it's possible. It's possible. But that's a skill. May Allah Ta'ala give that skill to those women who can use that skill for the service of his deen. So then the heart of Musa mother was restless. Now what does it mean? Now, she's not. it's not huzn. It's not khauf. It's fazigah, a different word. Uh, sorry, farigah. It means that she was unsettled. Unsettled, right? Her heart was unsettled. So you can call it restless. I don't know what he's called it. Restless Right? You can say her heart was unsettled or restless. Another maybe good way to put this in English, Fadigah, her heart was desolate. Her heart was empty. She felt a vacuum in her heart. Fadigah. She felt a vacuum in her heart because she was missing her baby. Sayyidina the Muslim, that's probably even more close to the Arabic original, that her heart was desolate and empty. And she felt a void. And she would have almost revealed this condition... Right, in other words, she couldn't control her motherly urge, she wanted to run to the palace and reveal that she is her the mother, right? If she would have done that, Lola an رَبَّتْنَا Allah Kalbiha. So also can happen to Nabi. So what is Allah Ta'ala can send meaning to the heart of a Nabi? And now sometimes Allah Ta'ala, what can he do? رَبَّتْنَا ala Kalbiha that we strengthen her gulp, We put a firmness and a strength and a resolve into her heart. min hmm? al So that she could be amongst those. Now here Mu'mineen means one of the ones who are faithful, have strong conviction and faith. To be one of the ones of strong conviction and faith. So this is also something that can still happen today. That Allah can strengthen our hearts and make us firm believers. We have to want it from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We have to have that same trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the mother, she said to the sister of Sayyidina Musa al that she should follow him. Right? Sorry, what it means is she would have ran after Musa al when she put him in the water. But she held herself back. Then she told her sister, why don't you follow the baby and see what happens? So so the sister did. She watched him from a distance, unbeknownst to them, and they were unaware, for own and uh, al here were unaware that she was following them so she saw the whole thing that they picked him her the baby up from the river they decided to take him back to the palace and she followed them there and then what did allah subhanahu ta'ala wa allah subhanahu did this that allah subhanahu literally means we forbade we for- forbade him all the are all the female wet nurses what it means is that when you find a baby who's abandoned then they were professional wet nurses at that time who would suckle the infant when the mother wasn't there. But all of the women who did that as a profession, baby Musa Yislam refused to drink from any one of them. And so she saw that. So then she came up to them after they tried and they were getting frustrated. so the sister Musa Yislam said, Hal Adullukum can I not may I not guide you to the people of a house who will be able to care for him and feed him for you. Uh, and وَهُمْ لَهُ نَاسِهُونَ And they will be sincere counselors and advisors to him. And thus, and, and what's not being mentioned by al explicitly, but this is what happened, that Fir'aun agreed. And first, the mother Musa Islam used to come to the palace but eventually, then he gave baby Musa son, back to the mother to take to her home because he didn't know she was the mother, he just thought that she was that woman who would be able to wet nurse him. So then Allah Ta'ala mentions how his promise came true in verse 13: And indeed, we return baby Musa his son, to his mother. <selecting animals> so that her eyes could be cooled. <speaking in stock> and that she would not be sad and grieved. <speaking in stock> and that she could learn and know <speaking> in <stock> that indeed the promise of Allah <himself> is true. So that was the promise of Allah. I'm going to return it to you. <speaking in stock> However, the vast majority of people do not know this fact. So what does it mean, Allah Ta'ala is telling us? Remember, this is a lesson for the believers. That Allah Ta'ala's promise is true. You adopt Iman and Taqwa, He will give you najab from everything. You have Haya, Allah Ta'ala will give you everything. But most people don't realize that. la They don't really know that Allah Ta'ala has that mercy and He can help us and He will guide us if we turn to Him, if we are true to Him, if we have Iman. Verse number 14, Then writes the next stage in Musa's story. Walama ashuddahu. When Sayyidah Musa Salim, reached Ashuddahu. Ashuddah is a particular stage of human development. So the ulama have written that this is the prime. Prime. It comes from shiddah, from strength. It means the prime of their strength and maturity. And this is viewed to happen at the age of 33. Human development in Islam from zero to seven, a person is a complete child, and all they have to do is play for us play group extends till seven all right, and from seven to ten is when the child should be this is from hadith of Wasallam that a child should play until the age of seven when they become seven, then the parents should start training them, giving them terbiah, meaning telling them about what is halal and Haram, what is vice, what is virtue, what is moral, what is immoral. And from seven to ten that educative process should be completed. At the age of ten, they have to be enjoined now, they have to be verbally, but sometimes strongly verbally, reprimanded if they do what they have been told from seven to ten, they were educated was right and wrong, but that's simple. From ten onwards now they have to be firmly told to do what is right, and firmly told to stay away from wrong. Then when they hit puberty, sorry, when they hit twelve, they can even be physically reprimanded from doing something wrong or to to do something that is right. Then when they hit physical puberty or maturity, so that could be 14, 15, 16, that depends on different people, right, physical... Anyway, there are signs of physical maturity that the ulama have mentioned, alright, in a man and a woman. When a person reaches that stage of physical maturity, Then from there, now they're reaching their youth. That is their youth. Their youth is from puberty up till 33. Youth means that they just keep increasing, increasing in strength, increasing in maturity, increasing in emotional strength. And this is the time for a person to increase in their spiritual strength. So if you will, from the ages of 15 to 33 is uphill is where a person is surging, has the potential to increase every single aspect of them, their intellect, their spirituality, their emotions, their physical strength also. All of that is years of attaining maximum strength. At 33, you hit a peak. That's why you should not try to do a PhD after 33. (laughs) Right? At 33, you hit a peak. But... You can do it up to 40 because 33, then it's called up to 40 is istiwa, you plateau. You retain at 33, whatever you want to get is by the time you're 33. You will max out. Up to 33, you're gaining, 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 gaining. That's up to you. Everybody can gain as much as they want. You can gain as much as ruhaniya as you want, as much akal as you want, as much ilm as you want, as much physical strength as you want. And then at 33, you will climax but you will be able to retain that climax until you're 40. At 40, then it starts to decline, and at 40 you start waning. Your physical strength may start to wane, your you know, intellectual brilliance may start to wane. You start to wane until you hit 60, and then 60 is the beginning of old age or senility until you hit 80. That I already explained to you. After 80, you are living bonus years in the eyes of Allah What does that mean, by the way? I'm saying that literally in a hadith of Nabi Al-Qadim, as long as a person doesn't do sin, when a person crosses 80, every single second of their life is recorded as a good deed. Just them being alive counts as their Hasanat. That's what I mean by bonus years. No Allah kishan. Alright. So... T- oh, yes, so saying, Musa reached his full strength, right, and so when he reached this age, so some Mufassirun have said actually this is what's about to happen to him, is going to happen when he's 33 years old, and he was perfectly healthy, and then Allah Ta'ala says, uh, That we bestowed upon him, hukm and ilm, and hukm is taken here to be nubuwa, so I may have mistakenly told you that he got profited when he sees the light, he actually gets profited earlier. He gets profited well before that incident. Decades before that incident. So he is bestowed nubuwa when he reaches the prime of his youth. Maybe the age of 33 or some age that he was in. and al-Nanzi and muhsineen Thus, do, do we reward those who do good. Right. This is an isharah that Sayyidina Islam, prior to getting his nubuwa, like the Prophet ﷺ, all of the prophets had lived a pure and pristine life. Then comes this incident in verse 15, over that he entered the city at a time when its people were unaware means because they were napping in the afternoon and he found there two men fighting. One was from his own people meaning from the Bani Israel and the other one was from his enemies meaning from the people of Pharaoh, the Copts. The one from his the one from his own people called to him for help against his enemy. So Salem will hit him with his fist and thereby concluded his affair that's literally what it means, it means thereby killed him Fakada alay means concluded him means killed him when he killed him then what did Sayyidina say? say قَلَ min مِنْ أَمَلِ الشَّيْطَانِ إِنَّهُ aduvum مُذِلُّمْ مُبِينٌ that indeed this is from the works of the shaitan indeed he is an enemy who openly misleads what does this mean that Sayyidina Muhammad some realized uh, that you know uh, that it was an unintentional murder, so when evil happens unintentionally, he attributed it to shaitan. Then he turned to Allah Ta'ala, so called, إِنِّي نفسي, That, oh my Rab, I have wronged my own self. faghfirli فَغَفَرُ اللَّهُ Oh Allah Ta'ala, forgive me. فَغَفَرُ اللَّهُ Then Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala forgave him. Why is he asking For forgiveness. Again, because for the An-biyah, it's not a sin, but when something even error happens, they ask their forgiveness from the Allah. Also, because after seeing that his one fist was enough to kill a person, he realized that, okay, perhaps I could have inflicted a lighter blow. If only I had known, right? And maybe I am liable in that sense because I could have, you know, just pulled him instead of striking him, as an example, right? So, Allah Ta'ala forgave him. Allah اللَّهُ تَلَّفَرَ فَرَغَفَرَ اللَّهُ تَلَّفَرَ Al Indeed, Allah is All-Forgiving, All-Merciful. Then Sayyidina Musa said, Sayyidina Musa said, and bima anamta alayya, that O oh my Rabb, due to all of these, he swore in the name of Ma anamta alayha, in the name of all of those favors and gracious blessings that You have bestowed upon me. What falan akoon the hidden so, here again you have that word zahira, means that I will never be an accomplice, an ally. I will never be an ally to the wrongdoers, to the sinners. Right? Okay. Comment over here is that even helping a sinner is viewed as a sin. Very interesting hadith of Sayyidina it means assisting someone in sin is tantamount to sinning. And this is something that we should stay away from. Sayyidina Rasulullah, he saw some once told the Sahaba that I wish and pray for Allah Ta'ala's protection for you against the rule of fools. So the Sahaba asked Rasulullah, who are these what do you mean by the rule of fools? So the Prophet said that they will be such rulers after me, that the person who believes their lies and assists them in their tyranny is not from me, will have no relation to me, and they will never reach me at the whole. So if they are corrupt and tyrannical rulers, to assist them and to help them or to form coalitions with them or to take a ministerial portfolio from them, right? That means that you are assisting them. And the Kareem said to such a person that they will be not from me, they will have no relation to me, and they will never reach me at how they go there. And then Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallam in another day said, and of course, this hadith is used, anyway, let's just say this hadith has led to. Some serious situations. Let's put it that way. But the Prophet said it, that that person who assists a tyrant, knowing full well that he is a tyrant, that person has come outside the fold of Islam. Alright? So, either way, we should not work in any capacity that assists oppressors uh, or assists any tyrants. So here Sayyid Amul Sallallahu he made this du'a, so this is a du'a that we should also make, that we never want to be an assistant to oppression. Okay, now he wakes up in the city, the morning, means the morning found him in the city, when morning rose, the next morning he was in the city in a state of fear. What he was fearful and oppressive, that he will be arrested and executed for the crime of... Mm, involuntary manslaughter alright then when he was look, all of a sudden he saw the same person the same one who had asked us up the day before and again he implored his assistant so what did Sayyidina Musa a.s. he told him Musa told that person that you are clearly a misleading person in other words now I realize that you are quarrelsome, you pick fights with people you had a fight with somebody yesterday, you're having a fight with someone today, you're a troublesome, quarrelsome person. It's your fault. Right? فَلَمَّا أَنْ أَرَادَ عَيْنْ يَبْتِشَ بِاللَّذِي هُوَ اللَّهُمَّا So, but nonetheless, Sayyidina Musa Islam wanted to protect him. So, when Sayyidina Musa Islam, he intended to grab hold, or you could say even strike, because يَبْتِشَ and could be strike, that one who was an enemy to both of them. Means the copt, right? So the Kala Allah the is real. one said, Ya Musa O Musa O Kama bil Ams Do you intend to kill me the same way you killed somebody yesterday? So what happened? What happened was that this quarrelsome person got in trouble again the next day. He called to Musa for help. Musa listened to him and said, Oh, you are a troublesome, quarrelsome person but he was about to help him and he advanced that Bani Israel was scared that O oh, Musa is advancing towards me because Musa said this word to me just now Inna kal So now he's going to strike me because he's angry at me so he cried out to him that O oh, Musa you're going to kill me Though you killed that person yesterday and that other cop heard it so the cop just heard a testimony that Musa killed somebody yesterday so now it was a testimony to that involuntary manslaughter so some commentators say that uh, he quickly scurried off and he told the people, whatever, the police or the army or whatever it is. Uh, and then that Bani Israel taunts Musa, and says, In illa an fil ard, That you only want to become a jabbar powerful on earth, and you don't want to be amongst the Muslaheen, amongst the people who reconcile. Here some people say also because Sayyidina Muslim was a Nabi at this time that this was already one of his believers. And so actually it wasn't a nationalistic thing that he was trying to help the Bani Israel, this was one of his sahaba, this was one of his Mu'mineen who was having a trouble with the Kufar. That's why he was trying to help. Rajul Min Madina. So then a person came running from the furthest end of town. Aqsa means the farthest part of the city. Saying, O oh Musa, Musa, the ministers are discussing and deliberating about you and they're thinking of killing, executing you. So get out, so leave from this city. Indeed, I am giving you good advice. Some of the commentators say that this was another one of his mu'mineen, and some say it was actually one of the few Coptic one a person from the court of Pharaoh who had accepted Iman and Sayyidina Musa. Allahu Either way, فَخَرَجَ minha. Kha'ifan, Sustainable Sisam, left the city in a state of fear and apprehension, and he made dua to Allah Ta'ala, which is very important. Rabbin Najini min al Qaumil That, O oh my Rabb, save me from an oppressive community, from a community of oppressors. Alright. Then, verse 22 onwards, next step is that. That when he turned his direction in the direction of what? Madian, which is the place uh, towards Sham. So qala Rabbi Ai Yahdiyani Sawa As This is the kind of du'a. He made du'a to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. but he's making an expression of du'a that indeed I surely hope that my rub will guide me uh, and show me the right way. What is it because Madian was a place in Sham far away from Misr and he had never been there. But he just had an idea, okay, that's the place where I've heard it. That's the place where I should run away to in exile. But he had no idea how to get there. So he turned to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for this. وَلَمَّا the Madyan. So when he reached the oasis of Madian, you can say the water of Madian what did he see? the عَلَيْهَ ummatam nas? So he saw a group of people who were watering their flocks. On that oasis, you can imagine a great water body or a lake or an oasis in the desert. And there were herds of people, lots of people, each of them were watering their flocks. And he found standing beside them two women. And those two women were keeping their distance and they were driving their flocks away. So he asked them, what is the matter with you two? So they responded that, you know, we cannot water our flocks until those shepherds take theirs away. Means that we are not getting a spot. We have also brought our flock of goats. But we can't get a spot at the water body of water to water our flocks until these people, they all move away. And then they added another statement. Abuna Kabir, and our father is an elderly man. Why did they say that? Because they understood that, at, not to say the Musa but any person at that time, would wonder, but you're women, why are you doing this? This is a man's job to take out the goats. So they're explaining the rationalization that why the two of us are here by saying this, that our father is an elderly man, and then being silent and not making mention of any brothers or sons or husbands. They're making it clear that we're here out of duress. This is not something that a woman should do. So this shows an understanding that al Ta'ala is showing of these two noble women, that Al-Tas mentioned their statement in Quran, and that's an ishara to us. Right? That there's certain certain things in the public realm that actually don't befit the honor that Allah Ta'ala wishes to bestow a woman and manual labor uh, is one of those things, or being a shepherd is one of those things. Alright? So then what happened in verse twenty four? So then Sayyidina Musa watered their two of their flocks, the twos of their flock for them, and then he turned back to the shade, he went back and then stood again in the shade. So the understanding is that he, because he was a man, so when he went and he he was a powerful strong man, the other shepherds, right. So the other shepherds would have made away, and then he was able to get the flock to water. And when he was done watering them, then he went back in because it was a hot desert. So he went back and took refuge under some shade. And then he made dua to Allah, subhanahu because now he was hot. He was thirsty. He hadn't had much to eat. So he said, Rabbi anzalta لِمَا أَنزُلْتَ إِلَيَّ مِنْ خَيْرٍ That, oh my Rabb, I'm a faqir. I'm in absolute need of any khair. Any khair that you may send my way. This is another dua, surah number 28, verse 24, that a person can make when they want to be. And this is also a dua of a mudtar. Because Sayyidina Musa at this time was also helpless and hopeless and in a state of distress, so this is the du'a that we should make Rabbi اني إِنِّي لِمَا أَنزَلْتَ إِلَيَّ مِنْ خَيْرٍ فَقِيرٍ I'm muhtaj and ultimately desperately need of any khair مِنْ خَيْرٍ means any khair whatsoever that O oh Allah Ta'ala you would wish to send on my way So after he made this du'a Allah Ta'ala immediately accepts this du'a So khair number one فَجَاءَتْهُ إِهْدَهُمَا One of those two women came to him What does it mean? Uh, Oh, hold on, sorry. Uh, That she was walking to him bashfully and shyly. So this shows also the dharas of these noble women. That even their walking has been mentioned by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as they walked with haya. This is something women today need to learn. How to walk with haya. So she walked up to him with haya and said, my father invites you, inna abi that indeed my father is inviting you. So what does it mean? They two had, must have gone back with their flocks, and the father would have asked them what happened, and the commentator said that they came back earlier than they normally would have, because before they used to wait till all the shepherds left, and because of their haya also, they would wait for all their shepherds left, and then they would take their flock to drink. But now they came back, so he asked them, my daughter, you came back early today, and they told him that, oh, there is this man there and he asked us that he can help us and he took the flocks and he watered all the animals and then he went back into the shade and he's just sitting there. And so the father said, okay, go back, <laughs> go back to him and tell him that I'm inviting him. So, but again, the father was so old and elderly, he couldn't do it himself. So it's unclear whether only one of them came to him or they both came together and then one of the two walked up to him, right? But in any case, he was invited, and why invited to that? Because our father wants to reward you for watering our flocks for us. So then when Satan will say something, went with them, and then when he went to the father, and then he told the father what happened, what happened, this whole story about him doing the involuntary manslaughter, and how he's a refugee, he's a traveler, he's homeless, he's helpless, right? So the father told him, the elderly man told him, don't have any fear. All right. Najoubta min al Indeed, you are safe and you have escaped this oppressive community. All then one of the women said, and again we don't know if it's one of the two is the same one as Ellen. Ya abati, that oh my father. Ya abatis jilhu, that oh my father, you should hire him, you should employ him. Why in khayra min sta mansta al amin. Remember those words? Al-Qawiyy al-Ameen The best person that you can employ, the best employee for you is the one who is qawi who is strong, and who is Ameen, who is reliable. So this is your HR in Quran that the best employee is the one who is skilled and capable at the task that you need to be done and they're reliable, they're Ameen. Right? So she gave that idea to her father. One reason was that obviously the father couldn't do things And the two girls realized that this was not their place to fulfill the task that a man should do. So when they saw an opportunity that the father could hire a man to do the man's jobs, as opposed to then their daughters, two of them having to do the man's jobs. So that's why they suggested this to the father. Far from it the way certain modernists, you know, like to think that one of these women were feeling anything feelings for Sayyidina Musa alayhi it wasn't like that. These women were too pure and innocent to have any such feelings for Sayyidina Musa some. Actually, it wasn't a breach of their haya, it was their aine haya, that they wanted their father to hire this man, so that from now on they could stay in the home and they could guard their chastity and guard their, guard their modesty. So the father said, uh, in response to the suggestion in verse 27, he said to Sayyidina Musa now that they're saying hire him, what does the father say? Because he realized if I hire him he will have to stay with me. How is he going to stay with me? Because I have two daughters, right? So he came up with a solution. the inni uridu. The father said to Musa son, that I intend and I want an unkehaka I want to put in nikah, I want to marry off to you one of my these two daughters, one of these two daughters of mine. Allah, Allah comes for shart if you remember, on the condition that you will work for me for eight years. Allahu Akbar, that's a big mahr, huh? That you're going to be my manual laborer and khadim for eight years. You will clean, you will be shepherd. This is a nabi. This is Sayyidina, Nabiya, this is Mr. Nabi Musa, salam, right? He's also our nabi, right? So, and then he says that, فَإِنَمْتْ Atma for inam, and if you would complete ten, that would be that is up to you, but I will not impose any hardship on you. I mean at least eight and possibly up to ten years, right so then Sayyidina Musa agreed, but he says, okay, the matter that is between you and me I agree, whether I do eight or ten, that's something we'll resolve later, but I agree. All right, and let there be no enmity towards me, and Allah Ta'ala is witness to what I say. What does it mean? Let there be no enmity towards me, that if I choose eight, there can be no grudge against me, and whether I do ten, that is something that we will see at the time. So yes, Sayyidina Abu gets married to one of those women, and then when he's married to one of the women, that is haram for him to marry the other one, right? Because she's her sister, and he spends eight years... And ten years, and the vast majority of the Ulama have said that he spent ten years, because in the Hadith in Bukhari, Sayyidina, yeah, in Hadith in Bukhari, Sayyidina Abdullah bin Abbas, the narrative the saying that Sayyidina Musa completed the full ten years, and that and the Anbiya always do what is better. So, he grazed his goats and served that man for ten years of his life, hard labor. What is it that the Ulama have taken out from this? Number one, and another in Bukhari, Sayyidina Rasulullah said that every single Nabi of Allah used to herd and graze goats or sheep. And the Prophet himself also, in before Zuhur al-Nabu'at, had been a shepherd for some of the goats, flocks of the Mushrikeen of Makkah Makarrama. And he had done so also for a few coin. Another thing that they take out from what the scene of said is that why did all the unbiya do this? The reason is that because goats are very frail creatures, so you can't beat them into obedience. You have to put up with them. It takes extreme amounts of patience to herd a flock of sheep. So, because the unbiya needed to be trained to get that patience to deal with the disbelievers they were sent to, and possibly also be trained to get the patience to deal with the believers that they had to herd as their flock into Jannah. So each and every Nabi was first made to herd and graze goats. So those places where people are trained to get the Sifat of the Anbi known as Hanukkah or Zawiyah, so the Awliyaullah, also many of them would view this as a Sunnah, that they should try to herd and graze goats, and they would make their students also herd and graze goats as an exercise in discipline, an exercise in learning and acquiring that patience. Another thing that people, uh, another uh, lesson that is extracted by the Muhaddissin from this incident of Sayyidina Musa islam is that a person should work. A person when they are in need they should work even if it is manual labor. Even the Nabi Musa islam the Nabi of his zamana worked with his hands manual labor to get his, earn his place in that house and to earn the food on the table. So this means that if a person should not feel it below their dignity to take a less to be underemployed, nobody could be more underemployed than a navi right who is doing manual labor for ten years. So if you ha- you're not able to get employment at your level of qualification or skill or ability within a reasonable amount of time, you can keep trying. But otherwise, then it's better to earn a living for yourself than to live off of other people right it's even if it means accepting a job which uh, may seem to be menial or be like manual labor right another thing that we learn is that when opportunity presents itself uh, for a father to marry his daughter then he should marry his daughter off quickly to the first available pious Suitor that comes for his daughter. This is a hadith that Sayyidina Rasulullah that three things should never be delayed. Number one, salah should not be delayed such that you miss it. A funeral, janaza, should not be delayed once it, is ready, once it is ready. And the marriage of an unmarried woman should not be delayed once a suitable match is found for her. And suitable match means on an taqwa. And this is also a strange problem that many people in the society have that they become overly picky. And then they don't accept very good proposals that come from their daughters, and by this they commit a sin against Allah and a sin against their daughter. And the next thing you know, their daughter's in their 30s and their daughter's unmarried. And now they're parashan. Right? And now it'll be difficult for them to even find a good, as good a suitor as the ones who came, who they rejected when their daughter was 21, 22, 23, because they were looking for, you know, I don't know what, they were looking for some unavailable qualities right but remember not the first available any suitor the first suitor who is suitable in deen and that means the person who is pious so when a sali rishta the usrishta nahi karna chayya obviously the father so is not islam and again maybe he was a person of insight maybe he saw something in him right certainly Nabi Sayyidina Musa was given that element, that hukum and that hikman and nabuwa so they would have been sifat. Here verse twenty nine the story continues and Musa Yislam fulfilled that term when he fulfilled his ten years and then he left with his wife. So he left, he said, Okay, it's done now. <laughs> now. I'm free to go. I've spent ten years working for you in exchange for marrying your daughter. Now I will go and I will take your daughter, my wife, with me. So when he went and he was going back, he also thought that okay look ten years have passed, right? Ten years have passed, and I should be able to return home now. On his way home is when this incident comes. So 29, when Sayyidina Muhammad fulfilled the term and left with his wife, then he perceived a fire. He perceived what he thought to be a fire by Sinai. So he told his wife that, wait here, stay here, for I I perceived I have seen a fire. Perhaps I may bring you some news or information from there, or I may bring you a brand or a piece of the fire so that you may warm yourself. Then when he reached the fire, a call came from the tree on blessed ground from the right side of the valley that he was in. And what was that call? So we had done that before. Allah said, anna ya Musa inni anallahu Rabul alameen that O Musa it is I I Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the Rabb of the alameen cast down your staff and then Musa saw it writhing like a serpent and he saw it in motion like a serpent then Allah ta'ala said "O oh, Musa come forward and don't have come forward and without any fear you are certainly amongst those who are secure then move your hand into your side or into your chest and it will emerge shining white without uh, any disease. Now fold your arms and attach your hand to your side. These are two signs from your rub to Fir'aun and all of his ministers. Indeed, they are impious, sinful, common, um, Then Musa said, "Some O oh my rub, I killed one of them, and I fear that they will kill me. And my brother Harun, who asahu minni lisana, that he is more eloquent in speech than me. So So send him along with me as an aid." To, when, when I get sent to Sayyidina Musa Sallallahu Alaihi And he can confirm That he can confirm my teracity And he can confirm that I'm indeed a prophet Any akhafu Because I'm afraid that they will falsify me They will call me a liar Allah Ta'ala responded that yes Shortly we will strengthen you with your brother And we will give both of you authority And they will not be able to touch you And harm you in any way By virtue of our signs Bi ayatina Allah Ta'ala swears in the name of our signs, Antumad, the two of you, Taba And any one who follows the two of you, الغالبون, he will be victorious. So here al is referring to that initial victory that they will be able to go through the parted sea and eventually they will be, in that sense, victorious over Fir'aun and his armies. Verse 37, Musa came to them with... Came to her own and his people with the clear signs of Allah Subhanahu So what do they say? This is just nothing, and this stuff we just did a few days ago. This is nothing but magic that has been invented and is the like, uh, the like of which we have never heard from our predecessors. Verse three, seven, knows best. Who brings guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, And who will end up in a favorable end In Jannah and Paradise Indeed the unjust oppressors They will never succeed Yet nonetheless for said That O oh ministers besides myself I know no God for you except me So you should kindle a fire for me On the sand Haman And make a tower for me And I will climb that tower So that I can ascend And look at the God of Musa a.s. A.s., Even though I call him a liar <coughs> so Fir'aun and his armies were haughty on earth without justification and they thought that they, they, they were mistakenly thought that they would never ever return to us yani Allah subhanahu ta'ala. so Allah ta'ala says so we seized Fir'aun and we seized his troops and we hurled and cast them into the sea so then we should uh, so you should look and reflect and observe therefore what was the plight of the oppressors We made them leaders who called towards hellfire and on the day of resurrection uh, they will not be saved. And we have made a curse follow them in this world and they will be among the hateful makbuhin, they will be amongst the hateful on the day of judgment. all of this is a story that we have done earlier. Uh, Just this there's a difference of opinion just on this one issue about the building of the tower. So when he said it to Haman, was he saying sarcastically? Or did Haman actually then actually build a tower that for own climbed? So the difference of opinion of ulama as to what, that, whether the tower was actually built or not. But not something that is crucial to our getting lessons from the story. Verse 43, and then after we had destroyed the earlier generations, we gave Sayyidu Musa's scripture. We gave him a kitab, right? As a set, uh, uh, as basairah Lin nasi. Basair means as an eye-opener, as insight for humanity, for people. And as a guidance for them and as a mercy for them, so that they may take heed and they might bear it in mind. Then, verse 44, and you were not on the west side, on the western side, we gave Musa a.s. the laws, and you were not a witness to this. So here Allah is saying that Sayyidina Rasulullah would not know this in any way. Right? You would not have known this in any way. And so the Prophet is narrating excruciating detail what the Yehud of ethnic Kitab knew to be true from their own scripture. Verse 45 But we created many generations, after which a long period of time passed by, and you were not, you Nabi Yaqtim, not even a resident from the people of Madian. You were not living amongst them. Right, And you recite our verses to them, and it is only we who send messengers. Same understanding. And and you, Nabi were not in, in Mount Tur, at the side of Mount Tur, when we called. But here is a mercy from your Lord, that you may warn the people to whom no warners come before you, so that you may bear it in mind. So it means that say, no, so you weren't there. How do you know that this is what I said to Musa they know this is what I said because it's in their books. The Jews know what I said because it's in their books. How would you know? You were in Nabi me. So the fact that Allah is revealing it to the Prophet is a sign to the Yehud that this is indeed a Prophet of God because Allah is revealing him real information that they know to be true and that he would have had no other way to have known. That's what is the purport of these ayat. Verse 47 And if a calamity uh, If a calamity befell them as a result of their actions, they would say that, Our oh, why did you not send us a messenger? For we would have followed your signs and we would have been believers if you had sent a messenger. But when the truth came from us, Allah says, no, but now he sent the messenger and when the truth came for us, what did the Jews say? Utia utia Musa. Then why does he not have revealed to him the like of that which is revealed to Sayyidina Musa Islam? Didn't the people reject? Didn't they already, mean means their forefathers, didn't they already reject and scoff what was revealed to Musa some. So what have they done? They said, two magicians assisting one another, and they have said, we repudiate it all. Qul say to them, fatu bi min la, that you should produce a book, then bring a book from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is better guidance, that is better in ahdah, that is more in hidayah from the two, from either of them, that I may follow it if you are truthful. But if they do not hearken to you, no, that only follow their passions, they know that they only follow their passions, and who is more unjust and who can be more astray than the person who follows his passions without guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will never guide a community who is unjust. So the meaning of this ayah we had done to you earlier, وَمَنْ أَذَلُّ so the person who follows their whims and passions without the hidayah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if a person decides to live their life separate from Qur'an, sunnah and deen, they do whatever they wish and whatever they feel like and whatever they desire, whatever please them and they view life at the pursuit of happiness, then who can be more misguided than that? man adallu, Who could be more misguided than such a person? So this, will be the, this is being referred to in this place in Qur'an as the greatest type of misguidance. And then we've repeatedly sent the word to them, means we've repeatedly caused the scripture to reach them so that they may be reminded, And these are that community to whom we had sent the book before this, And they believed in that book, but when it is recited to them, they say, They say that we believe in it. For it is the truth from our Rabb. Indeed, we had already believed before this, we had already submitted before this. So, this here Allah is mentioning uh, the, those Ahlul Kitab who accepted Iman and accepted Iman in Sayyidina Rasulullah. And they were truly believing in their earlier scripture. So, they truly believed in the mention in their earlier scripture of the last Prophet and the last revelation to come. So saying this we already believed in. We've been waiting for this, right? So there are many, you know, sincere Jews of Medina Manurah who did accept like Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Salaamana, he accepted Islam. There were certain Christians like Sayyidina Samal Farsi, Sayyidina Tamim Dari, know, they accepted Islam. So this these ayahs are talking about people like that. And then the famous incident when the Samaq first migrated towards Abyssinia, Ethiopia, then the Ruler of Ethiopia, he was a Christian, but then he also accepted Islam. So this is the nature of those Ahli Kitab. So what will they have? So verse 54, Allah Ta'ala mentioned that they will get a double reward. (laughs) They will get a reward twice. Twice. Why will they get a reward twice? Because once they believed on their own book... And nabi whatever was the real deen before the Prophet and then second, they believed in the deen of Sayyidina Rasulullah So they get double reward due to their sabr, and due to the fact that they uh, have repelled evil with good, and they spend ينفكون, And they spend from that which Allah subhanahu wa Taala has blessed them, and what Allah Taala has provided them. And when they hear vain talk, we did this for you before. I did this for the day. When they hear vain and futile talk, they turn away from it they simply say, Our deeds are to us and your deeds are to you. Peace be unto you, we do not seek the ignorant. What does this mean? That if there are other al Kitab who don't accept Iman, they come to them and they taunt them and they say things to them, right? They will not engage in deep argumentation with them, they will just say, "Salam." Alright. There's some background to this uh, and the background is as follows. is When Sayyidina Jafar, Jafar ibn Abi Talbara, he migrated to Ethiopia and they managed to convert the king and several other Christians in that area. And finally when then he returned and he came to Medina Manawra, when the Muslims went from Makkah Makarama to Medina, and Sayyidina Jafar, he went to Medina Manawra and he took 32 Christians with him who had readily accepted Islam because they were all aware that Nabiyya Khim is the prom- Prophet that is promised in their scripture. So that's one view and that this verse is referring initially to them that they will be given a double sabab from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then in the Hadith in Bukhari Sayyidina Abu Musa Ashari ta'ala narrates that the Prophet said that three groups of three groups of people will receive double reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the Day of Judgment. Number one, those people of the book who believed in their Nabi and then when they met the Basam or heard about Islam, they believed in the Prophet. So that could still be true today, right? So that means anybody who is a Jewish or convert to Islam today, according to our deen, they will get double sawab from Allah subhanahu Okay, so this was in a hadith in Bukhari about people who will get double reward. Their patience, their patience is regard to number one, their sabr. That they waited for the last deen to come. They were waiting because they believed that the last prophet and book was coming. So there was a sense of sabr. They were waiting for it. Another meaning of sabr is their endurance. That when a person converts, they have to endure a lot of things. Especially when they leave a practicing religious community. When an atheist becomes a Muslim, they don't have to endure so much. But when a person is from a religious community and then the rest of vast majority of the religious community doesn't convert, but they convert, they leave a religious community for Islam, then they have to have a lot of sabr, they have to endure a lot of things. And yes, this was the truth, that the majority of Ahli Qadab did not become Mu'minin. So those who did, they had to have a lot of sabr, a lot of patience, a lot of endurance with, let's say, family members, or with community members who may have tried to oppress them or chastise them. Now verse number 56 Allah subhanahu mentions to Sayyidina Rasulullah says Inna ka la man ahbabta That O oh, Nabi Karim sallallahu Verily you will not be able to give hidayah to whom you love wa lakinna allaha من man yasha. However Allah subhanahu gives hidayah to whomsoever he will wa huwa a'lamu bil And indeed Allah subhanahu knows best who are going to be the muhtadeen, the ones who submit and accept right guidance. Now, this is something that is, I am returning to the uncle of Sayyidina Rasulullah, Abu Talib, and Abu Talib had helped the Prophet a lot in his lifetime, a lot. And he raised the Prophet like a father, and then he offered his guarantee of protection Before Hijrah in Makkah when the came were challenging the Prophet First Abu Talib said that whoever attacks the Prophet They will have to face with me So when Abu Talib was passing away Let's say in the mud of the mouth in his final moments So Sayyidina Rasulullah went to him And he implored him and wanted him to recite the Kalimah and to believe But at the same time Abu Jahal and Abdullah ibn Umayyah They were there And they wanted Abu Talib to die as an unbeliever And they wanted him to follow the faith of his father, Abdul Muttalib, who was also the Muslim Grandfather. So, when Sayyidina Rasulullah Kept trying to convince Abu Talib to recite the Kalimah, but he didn't. Because he was afraid that Abu Lahab and Abdullah ibn Umayyah would hear, and that he would be ridiculed. In posterity, he would become the subject of ridicule in the future. And when this happened, this is a Hadith mentioned in Sahih Muslim Sahih Bukhari, that then when Abu Talib passed away, then Sayyidina Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam walked out, and he, I mean, that's it now, he's dead. So when Sayyidina Sallallahu left, he walked away with a heavy heart, with a tremendous sadness and grief, that it's finished now, I was never able to bring my uncle to Iman. And then Allah SWT says this, now this verse has been the subject of much commentary. Number one, إِنَّكَ لَا you cannot guide whom you want. So that suggests that, look, you wanted Abu Talib to have guidance, but he didn't. But the other part of the verse, وَلَكِنَّ yahdi However, Allah Ta'ala guides whom, so, well, and especially this, atnamu bil And Allah Ta'ala knows best who it is that follows Hida'ah. So this leaves it open, right, that Abu Talib follow Hidayah or not. At the end, right, what was Abu Talib's state when he passed away, on Iman or not, Allah Ta'ala knows best. Allah Ta'ala knows best. But the point is, the first point is that the Prophet some can't do it. Only Allah Ta'ala can give him Hidayah, no matter how much the Prophet some loves him. And so this is true in some sense for every caller to deen, to the Anbiya or the prophetic callers to deen, Anybody who does the work and mission of the Anbiya, it's true for them, they cannot guide the ones they love necessarily, just because they love someone, whether it's a family member or neighbor or friend or a colleague or a teacher or a student, right? It's Allah Ta'ala who controls, Allah Ta'ala who will guide, and Allah Ta'ala knows best who will ultimately be guided. So the second part means that it's still our job to try on everyone, because Allah Ta'ala knows best who will end up being guided. We don't know. So as far as we're concerned, everybody has the potential to be guided, so our job is to try on everyone. <coughs> Mughalu, uh, verse 57, they say that if we follow the guidance with you, we will be removed from the land. So Allah SWT says have we not granted them, have we not granted them that peaceful haram, in Makkah to which the fruit of everything is attracted, samaratu kulli shaykh. Everything is there min la dunya As a risk, as a sustenance and provision from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala وَلَكِنَّ أَكْثَرُهُمْ لَا However the vast majority of them don't know the Allah ta'ala says that many uh, were the towns that we destroyed Allah Ta'ala has destroyed many settlements and communities But Allah Ta'ala says it would not Allah yeah, Many populations and towns Allah Ta'ala says that we have destroyed and they boasted about their affluence, they were wanton and reckless in their way of life. And so there lie the ruins of their homes. And their homes were not occupied after them except for a short period of time. But Allah Ta'ala says that, Kuna nahnul warithin, that indeed we are the real inheritors of this earth. Means that when all these communities are destroyed and punished and nothing but ruins are left, it's only Allah Ta'ala who is left behind, who remains. Allah, Allah is the one who ultimately remains Otherwise he is dispensed with communities of disbelievers in the past And then verse 59 Allah makes it clear But your would never destroy a town or a population Without having sent down a messenger to them and to their people Reciting the signs and verses of Allah Sponsor to them And Allah would not destroy a population Unless their inhabitants and their people were doing something wrong in verse 60, whatever you have been granted are the assets and adornments of the worldly life. Whatever you have been given is just the stuff of this world and its adornment and its beauty. While well, that which is with Allah abqa and that which lies with Allah سبحانه is better than that. Wa abqa, that is eternal, that is everlasting. Literally, it means more lasting than what's in this world, but it means most lasting infinitely more lasting than what's in this world, means the most lasting, means everlasting, means unending, do you not have any intellect, do you not understand?